Vlad here, the host of Burgundy Radio. Shortly after we recorded our episode on January 7th, there were some delays that contributed to the release of that episode. As a result, that episode's contents may seem dated, but we hope you enjoy it all the same. We at Burgundy Radio appreciate your support and listenership, and we look forward to bringing you more regularly scheduled content. So please enjoy this episode of Burgundy Radio, Baseline of Greatness. This episode of Burgundy Radio is brought to you by Actual Hockey Games. Schedule pauses are so last year. have taken an early 1-0 lead. It's Sam Carrick, home quad. Delivers down low, score. The return pass and the redirect by Fowler goes off the post and in. It's a power play goal for the Ducks, and they've got a 2-0 lead here early in period number two. Kadri to Rantanen, into the slot, drops it off, reset, score! Devon Taves says, I'll take control at the top of the circles. He rips it past the blocker of Gibson and off the post and in. And the Avs have cut the gap. It's now a 2-1 game. Rantanen, finds McCall again. Now McKinnon with a one-timer. See, rebound, score! Game land is gone on the rebound, able to pound it past Gibson. And the Avs with another power play goal and tied the game at two for Landeskog. That's his 10th goal of the season. He's into double digits, and it came when the Avs needed it the most. The car got knocked down. Down on the ice. In is McKinnon. Shot. Score! Logan O'Connor gets the feed from McKinnon. And the Avs have taken a 3-2 lead here with 1-11 to go in the third period. Turning and firing. Score! this game it's a 4-2 avalanche lead Ren in his 15th of the season and there is the horn Kadri to the puck along the half force plays it up top Johnson shoots and scores Eric Johnson fires a wrister that catches the top corner past Marc-Andre Fleury's blocker side and Colorado has the early lead now in front with a backhander it roots and scores Oh, what a move out in front by Newhook. Patiently weaved his way through traffic and went upstairs with the backhand to give the Avalanche the 2-0 lead. Jones, wrist shot, deflects in front, poked towards the net. The rebound loose, and Whistle looking for it. Score! 24 seconds to go in the two-man. Plays catch with Debrinket. Jones, Debrinket shoots, scores! Tic-tac-toe passing on the two-man Kane with speed, sets up to Brinkett, shoots, scores! Kane to Debrinkett, reprise! And the Blackhawks have the lead! Burakovsky leads it for Johnson, who shoots, and scores! Another goal for Eric Johnson, and we are tied at three, as the defense provides offense once again for the Colorado Avalanche. Three seconds to go in the period. Taves across the line. This shot. Dave made by Kemper as the horn sounds. And we will go to overtime. Beautiful wheel around move. The oh! shoots and scores! Are you kidding me? Colorado wins it in overtime. What a pirouette goal scored. Beyond the long reshot. The puck is saved by Kemper. Rebound score. 
You could see that one coming as Shifley's eyes were as big as silver dollars on that loose puck at the far circle. Was able to ram it home, and the Jets with a power play goal have a 1-0 lead. Outlet to Burakovsky. Feeds it for his centerman. Back to Burakovsky! And Hellebuck got there a moment before. Johnson with a drive! He scores! It might have been deflected by Nazem Kadri. He was right on the doorstep. But Eric Johnson continues to let that puck fly. The Condor gets it to the front of the cage, and Kadri with the redirect. It's a 1-1 game, and for Nazem Kadri, that's his 12th of the season. Just McKinnon in the circle. Here he goes, shoots, and a save! Score! It bounces off of Hellebuck, right to the goal line. It's pounded home. The Avs with a power play goal. Avs with a draw on McKinnon. Looks the bottom of the circle and shoots. He remembers, score! Miko Rantanen. The moose gets loose to the top of the crease. Able to bash it inside the near post for his 16th of the season. And the Avs have struck Pater not once but twice in period number two. McKinnon dicing his way up top, turns it down the slot, save, rebound, Landis Gump shoots, score! Game Landis Scott cleans up again. The captain finds the loose change. This one goes past the blocker of Hellebuck. McKinnon shoots and scores! The temperature just got hot, and I mean fiery hot. Nathan McKinnon. Miko dangling into the slot, shoots, save, rebound, score! way to the front of the cage and the hats come raining down on the ice at ball arena Landeskog, his fourth career hat trick outlet finds EJ high pass Burakovsky back to Johnson looks in the Byram one timer score Bowen Byram a power play goal from the dot EJ sets him up and the abs have Winnipeg seven unanswered goals here tonight five seconds left as EJ works it behind the cage and will eat that puck and after 22 years Raymond Mark! greetings one and all near and far reaching your ears wherever you are welcome to Burgundy Radio I am Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. Joining our starting lineup is Earl 06. Earl, Happy New Year! Happy New Year, Vlad, to you and everyone listening. Thank you, thank you. Also joining us is Tiger Vixen. Jackie, happy 2022. And same to you. Thank you. So when we last graced the digital airwaves, the Avs were actually playing hockey. Uh, they weren't. Due to a rash of positive cases of COVID throughout the team and teams they were due to play in upcoming contests to that point in time, the NHL postponed the remainder of Avs games in December. Flip the calendar to January, and presto, we have hockey again. The first game back for the Avs was this past Sunday, January 2nd, against the visiting Ducks of Anaheim. Mighty though they are not. The Ducks were still playing hockey through the Avs' winter holiday, which gave them a bit of an advantage over our hometown heroes as they raced out to a 2-0 lead just over three minutes played in the game. However, special teams would bring the Avs back on two power play goals from Devon Taves and Gabe Landeskog to tie things up, 
before Logan O'Connor would score with just over a minute left in regulation to put the Avs ahead. Mikko Rantanen would add an empty netter to give the Avs a 4-2 victory and keep their winning streak on home ice alive. With the extended break being an obvious factor in the Avs' performance on Sunday, what else stood out for you two in that game? Well, I think the Ducks were obviously sitting on that lead thinking they could get an easy point and probably take the Avs in OT since they suck in OT. And that was really deflating. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, because it really looked like as we were sort of nearing the end of the third period that both teams were, I I don't know if the Avs were kind of sandbagging a little bit, but they looked like they were kind of into just taking a point and seeing what happens too. But that O'Connor goal. Were you able to make it to the game, Vlad? I did. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I don't know what I was expecting coming into this game because you're you're off for, what, 17 days at that point. You miss a good chunk of time up to that point, and your roster was in tatters from COVID, and then everybody's now coming back with except for, you know, a few uh, stand you know, a few standouts here. So it's like, well, what are we really going to see here? Is this going to be, you know, the, the rust game where you just, are just going to be like, well, this is pretty much what you expect. But I was not counting on Logan O'Connor having the first game-winning goal of of the new year for me. I was like, well, I'm glad to see it, but you know, of course I'm happy with the win. But had they lost that game, I don't think I would have been broken up over it just because of the long layoff. Sure, you never really know what to expect. Like They had good momentum. I think if you take out that Nashville game five in a Which row. Which you should. Yeah, I know. Because that just wasn't real. And I still, yeah. I said previously, I was okay that they played that game. And I still feel that way. But you just can't add that into the analysis of anything. Right. So if you take that game out, they were on a five-game win streak. So they really did have good momentum. But you just never know. Like you said, after being off that long, you just want to feel the familiarity of what the team is and what they could do. And, and then in this game, they gave up the first two goals, which it's tough to come back and the abs haven't done it a lot. But the interesting thing for me is this game. And then the games that we're going to talk about later is that they all were a comeback of sorts. So I decided to go to this Anaheim game. I had thought about it even before, like I've, have the games that I have planned out and then a few that I'm going to wait and see. And this was one of them, but it just felt like I needed to be there for this one for them. I didn't want to just watch stream, watch him come back. I wanted to watch him live. And let's be honest, it was huge news that Byron was back in the lineup and I wanted to watch him live. So I wasn't going to pass that one up. So, and it was a day game and those are so rare and, this that and the other so there were a lot of reasons to go to this game and um so it was nice to see them claw back into it and i didn't feel like they played poorly but you could definitely tell there was some rust just timing of things handling the puck things like that and then i thought they played pretty well for actually for the first 10 minutes and and didn't have it i mean they were you know had negative to show for it and then they kind of looked rusty for a while 
But it was good for Taze to get that goal on the power play. I was almost even going to yell because, like, Miko had a pretty good look at it. Like, he was right in the middle of the ice. But, hey, sometimes players see something that we don't even see. And Taze was right behind him and an even better shooting position. So that goal was pretty cool to see. And then, of course, Landy, he's been... On, I mean, the whole top line's been pretty much on fire. And, and like Vlad said, O'Connor probably wouldn't have guessed him as the hero, but he does have a little bit of a knack for things like that. And it wasn't a really nice pass for McKinnon, who not only gets assists. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, they probably would have been satisfied with overtime just because... Well, when you have a two-goal deficit, if you can even get a point out of that, it that's a good thing. But then, hey, they just won it anyway, so that was pretty cool. I, I guess another takeaway I had was that I thought the Ducks were pretty decent. I know that they're not a favorite uh, among Avalanche fans, but I thought that it was pretty apparent that they've changed their identity a little bit. They do have the speed, the skill. I thought they were dangerous throughout the game. So it, it was a decent matchup. It, these aren't the Ducks from last year where they were really terrible. And I know everybody can see in the standings they're pretty good, but there's a lot of, like, how real is that? I think it's fairly real. Like, I don't think they're win the division good, but they're definitely in the playoff conversation. It's always interesting when you have – you always seem to have one team – that was kind of terrible the year before and you don't really have that much hope for, and they get a good start and some confidence and it, it really starts building. And at first I thought Anaheim was just sort of like, ah, you know, start a little hot and then they'll just go back to being terrible as usual. But, you know, they do have decent players. They should be better than they were last year. And I've never thought much of Eakins as a coach. So, uh, I, I can't really say that that's the reason for it. Um, you know, I, it really does look like a confidence thing. I think they're you know, talented. And that's, and that's huge. Together. Yeah, because, like, Terry's having a huge year. And, you know, Zegras was uh, in COVID protocol, but he's obviously one of their young stars. And, you know, Drysdale's still pretty young, too. But all these little pieces, when you start adding them together, it makes you better. So I think they are on the right track. Still nice to beat him. <laughs> yeah. I was concerned in this game for a, a stretch when the Az were chasing the Ducks there for being down to nothing. That as we've seen John Gibson getting into those John Gibson type zones where he just locks everything down. Oh, yeah. He could steal one for sure. I guess another thing to point out is that Anaheim had been playing. I think that was their third game. And. It frustrated me because the Avs could have played those Dallas games. Like, I understood why they postponed the Vegas one just because after two weeks and then you're supposed to have, what, one skate and then fly out and play a game, that's a bit much. But they absolutely would have been ready by Wednesday for those Dallas games. So it was really disappointing to have another team dictate that. And I really felt like the NHL should have tried to reschedule some things in between these long breaks that some of these teams are having. Cause it wasn't just the abs. Like I think Winnipeg didn't play the whole week. You know, you could go on down the list. There were a whole bunch of other teams that were able to play and they couldn't just cause they didn't have a game. It sucked that the abs had to wait even longer. They had to wait like 
five, six more days than than they needed to. Yeah, it's tough to say whether that helped or hurt with the rust. I, I just I don't I, I don't think there's any substitute for just getting your feet wet and getting a game in. I think it's good they got some practice. Like I said, yeah. it would have been rough if they like they would have been fine by Wednesday, but probably I truly ideally Friday because then they would have had a good three days of practice. At that point, they were more than ready. Yeah, and truth be told, I I would rather sort of start off with a rust game against Anaheim, and I know they're obviously a lot better than they were last year, but it's it's not a division matchup, and you know, sort of Dallas has our number kind of thing. I I. I I was a, a little happier that, that we could start off versus Anaheim versus Dallas anyway. True. The home game would have been fine. I guess on the road, a little less ideal, but I have to play them sometime. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> and we'll see how they reschedule those because as of now, we haven't heard that. Supposedly, the NHL has pretty much used the Olympic break for a lot of the non-Canadian postponements. I think it's absolutely absurd that they keep postponing all these Canadian home games. I I totally understand the point about revenue, and I've always said I support the league trying to make money because it benefits us all, the players that we love to watch, the sport we love to watch. I don't begrudge them for trying to make money, but it just seems like assuming that the problem's going to be solved rather than trying to solve it yourself. And I think the NHL is going to find out that they're going to have to come up with an actual plan. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if anything, this whole having to reschedule games uh, has shown us that it's a lot harder than it, than it sounds to, to actually do that. Well, it also assumes nothing else happens. I mean, God forbid, there's more postponements or, you know, you could go on down the line of all the disaster scenarios right? of what the league could face. And it, it seems silly to me that you have teams that are healthy, able to play and can play in a full building and you're not doing it. Well, I mean, what if, what if it's something like you can't find hotel rooms or yada, yada, yada. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot more going on to travel to play a game than just having the arena open. Well, right. Well, you look at, like, right when the Avs Dallas was postponed, Chicago at Winnipeg was postponed. So you right there, you're looking at a team that was already scheduled, ready to travel, that travel made sense within their schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It, Chicago the team- still has to come here. Like, that was, that's a game that could have been replaced. You know, logistically, it could have made sense. Yeah, there's definitely cases where you could have done that. And it, it's tough to say why they didn't. It it might be they're just like, oh, screw it. You know, we can just do this all during February and it'll be nice and neat. <laughs> I mean, that's great. Right now, the Avs has seven games to reschedule and it should work fine within those three weeks. But you also don't know. You never know. Yeah. Right. Because none of us were at the start of this season really even thought of these conversations of postponements in the span of an 82-game season because we were thinking about, well, there's going to be the Olympic break. That is an actual thing that's going to happen. They're going to go overseas. They're going to do the thing, come back. We're just going to pick things up where we left off. And then we started seeing domino after domino after domino started falling, and then those conversations began to become more and more frequent. So unlike the shortened season where they really were kind of squeezing themselves into a corner when – 
games did get postponed, as we saw when the Avs had, they had what, two, if I'm not mistaken, two breaks? Yeah. And then their their last uh, couple months of the season were just, there was just no room for anything at all other than you were just playing the same teams three games at a time, and then you get that one switch day, and then you got another team coming in for another three games, and then you had this whole thing about making this big stink about the President's Trophy, and you have to beat LA if you want to beat Vegas, and all that stuff. Well, in a way, that second break almost worked in their favor because of how the league extended the regular season by, what was it, like 10 days, then the Avs would have been sitting around 10 days waiting for the playoffs to start. That's not ideal either. So when they had their last, I think it was like four games postponed into that 10-day window, that was kind of like better for them. And I wonder if the same thing's going to happen here because they don't have this Summer Olympics, sort of this art, artificial or not deadline i mean realistically they're gonna are they gonna have to extend the regular season already to make up all these canadian games i mean it's ridiculous some of these teams are playing twice this month like you're just not going to be able to continue on even with the olympic buffer that they can use so then what are we looking at that the abs are going to be done late april and they're going to have to wait what two weeks perhaps for the playoffs to start. That's not a good scenario either. No, I think that's the last thing they want to see. And I mean, honestly, like the the team that's probably in the worst shape right now is Montreal. I guess it's pretty obvious that they're, they're not going to be a factor in the playoffs. So if they end up playing, you know, 79 games or something like that, you know, maybe they'll make them play like they made, what was it? Calgary and Winnipeg had to play during the playoffs last year. They finished their yeah, regular like season. Vancouver had to make up a bunch yeah, of games. That's where I well, I mean, if they made up every single game last year, I I'm pretty certain they're gonna make up every game, which Yeah, I mean if they're <laughs> if you can have paying cut if, if you can have paying customers, they'll do it, I guess, if people are willing to show up. I you know, maybe the Canadians have too much pride to do something like that. But you just see how but they're not gonna worry about the Canadians finishing the season on time as much as well, they no. would worry about a real playoff game. But now we're seeing Edmonton and Winnipeg and these teams that are relevant. They're having home games postponed. And I just don't think this is a good idea. We'll see how it plays out. But I think you just have to deal with reality. Either play somewhere else or play the games. Like, there's still TV broadcasters to satisfy, which is why the Leafs are still playing some games at home. You know, you just... And Winnipeg floated the idea yesterday of playing in, in perhaps Saskatoon. And that was shot down. I wonder why. But <laughs> I, 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 I mean, do wonder why. I mean, I, it, I mean, the building's big enough. You know, I fifteen thousand, right? Maybe the broadcasters nixed that, but I think if revenue is important, you got to think about playing in the U.S. Now, I know it, it's a hardship for the teams. Like, if you're not at home, like when the Toronto teams, the Blue Jays can play at home, blah blah blah. But you got to accept the current reality and work with that. And they're just going to have to face it sooner or later. I also think a problem that they had is they went back to 100% quote-unquote normal with the schedule. I, I like that we're playing other divisions, we're, we're playing the Eastern Conference, but they still should have structured the schedule with back-to-backs against the same team. I mean, why do the Avs have to play Seattle and then fly to Nashville for a back-to-back? Isn't that just stupidity? 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I can sort of understand, I mean, you can only really do that inside your division and maybe a couple of teams in the other division in your conference just because of, you know, your home road splits. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't want to give up playing the East, but within your division or when you're seeing a, a team from the Pacific come in twice or you go there twice, yeah. They should have done that, and they should have thought more about the cross-border travel. I mean, the fact that they had to cancel all these games around Christmas because players didn't want to get stuck on the other side of the border before Christmas. Like, should have thought about this. Or trying to group the Canadian travel together a lot more. It, it's just like the league was shocked that, oh my God, these problems are happening. And <laughs> none of us thought that it would happen so fast, but they should have never just gone back to quote-unquote normal. Yeah, they could have done a, a hybrid schedule where they would have had they could have packed the first half of the season with or the, even the second half of the season with a structure like that, where they would have had more division heavy games in the first half or the second half, however they chose to arrange that and then adjust it accordingly. If there were instances where we see right now with these uh, postponements north of the border or with other teams that we've seen here they could have done it in a way where they would have probably put themselves at a better advantage to make adjustments along the way. If they would have probably tried to stack things up a little more uniformly. But as we're seeing now, as you said, Jackie, to your point, they went back to what was a normal pre pandemic style schedule. And now we're seeing it's not working out so well. Well, and generally you do play your division heavy schedule in the second half of the season. And you're, I mean, Generally, what you see in the second half of the season is a lot of division games, and then you'll probably have one either road trip or long homestand with the Eastern teams. And it's it's sort of like that that block where you had the the, the long travel to the east east west later in the season. That's probably what should have gotten shunted back. And I realize like it'd be stupid for just having you know all interconference play early and then all conference play or something like that but you you get back into the same thing we had last year where you're just playing the same teams over and over which which they didn't want to have yeah and I don't want that either but it's like you know it's one thing the abs go on one trip and they hit Toronto Montreal and Ottawa at once but that has benefited them because they got a large chunk of their canadian travel out of the way yeah they, they went to Vancouver and then they don't go back to Vancouver. So that's already four teams that they don't have to worry about going to, which is also why they're not getting caught in some of these Canadian postponements moving forward. Right. And if they structured things like that more, where you're doing a lot of your cross-border travel at once, is probably something they're going to have to think about moving forward. Because I don't if, if they assume that this border is not going to be an issue going forward, they're just flat out wrong. And another thing is that the Avs had such a light schedule leading up to the break is you just can't waste full weeks anymore. Like I said, if team is healthy and able to play and they can play in front of a full building, there should be no reason why a team takes a week off moving forward. I think in a vacuum, I would be inclined to agree, but we saw before the pause, the Avs were starting to get a little bit banged up. So in again well, in a I vacuum, think, I, I can. Yeah, it, it's kind of a little bit of you know uh, a mixed bag here. It's both good and bad to do that. Well, it's just not going to do many favors moving forward because the Avs were at at the pause. They were at twenty seven games. That was the lowest in the NHL 
tied with the Islanders, maybe one other team, and Dallas. Yeah, yeah, it's great they're healthy now, and and that benefited them. But they're not the though. They've, they've lost two guys in three games already. <laughs> that, you know, this is like healthy for them, right? But it, I mean, they haven't they're, played much. You know, it's like they're still on a pace where they're losing a guy. You know, every every day, almost right. every game. Exactly. And now they're going to start playing four times a week. So, yeah, it is a little bit scary that they were that banged up when they're maybe playing two games a week. It's just the more games that they have to make up is is just not going to do them any favors. So that's another reason why I was told I was okay with them playing that Nashville game, just because another road game sandwiched in somewhere. God knows what that would have looked like on a back-to-back or traveling back from, you know, the East Coast or something, it probably would have been disadvantageous. I always hated how the Avs would do, like, an Eastern road trip and the scheduler loved to tack on a division game on the way home. Yeah. Like, oh, you've been in the East for a week. Why don't you just play St. Louis on your way home? Or Minnesota, yeah. <laughs> like... What a great competitive advantage for the other team. So it would have just been like that. Like, oh, hey, let's let's just throw on Nashville when we're coming back from Boston. Why not? These things don't always end up in their favor. So I'm just saying control as much as you can control, and we'll hope it works out. The second game the Avs would play this week would see them head to Chicago to face the Blackhawks for the first time since opening night. No slow start on this uh, particular night, as Eric Johnson and Alex Newhook would put the Avs up 2-0 in the first period. But after that, the Rustolium seemed to wear off a little bit as the Blackhawks began to take control of the game. Jonathan Taves cut the Avs' lead in half in the second, and then in the third, things would get a little bit wacky. The Avs would take consecutive penalties early on, and Alex Debrinket, sparring partner of Sam Girard, would score on both power plays to give the Blackhawks the lead. But Eric Johnson would tie the game just past the halfway mark of the third, and that's where things would stay for the balance of regulation. We head to overtime, and to quote Vegas Golden Knights defenseman Alex Petrangelo, oh boy. A little stutter step to the corner, and now McKinnon behind the net. Drops one off to McCarr. McCarr holds... In the corner, and now along the half court. Oh, beautiful wheel around move. And scores! Colorado wins it in overtime. What a pirouette goal scored by the young defenseman, Cal McCarr. Oh, my God. I'm looking in the abs box next to me. I looked at their great Joe Sackick, their general manager. Are you kidding me? What a play by Kale McCarr. Watch the situational awareness. Drawing the defender in Kirby Doc. Lulling them in. Oops! Jams on the break. Cuts back. Takes a sword of the net. Forehand. Backhand. Top shelf. Good night. What a play by Kale McCarr. Is this guy special or what? You know what? I'm just going to call it right here. Forget the Michigan. Call this the Lake Michigan. Kale McCarr deeks Kirby Doc out of his skates. Goes roof on Marc-Andre Fleury. Game winner, Avs win 4-3. <laughs> I'm trying to decide if it's better to get the goodness out of the way first or save it for after <laughs> discussing this game. Um, I think I'll go for the latter just because the, the goal needs its proper appreciation. I think a little bit of old habits 
crept back in the abs in this one. The second period was terrible. I don't think it was just Russ. It's kind of like they get no. a little bored, a little overconfident, a little like, oh, this is crappy Chicago and we already have a two-goal lead. And like Bednar said, they just kind of stopped working, stopped checking. He calls it a competitive issue. And I kind of think that's what happened here. But the good news is they found the switch a little bit in the third, were at least able to tie it, and then obviously overtime happened. I guess the penalty kill also wasn't great. Like, okay, a five on three, that one's always pretty tough to defend. Because it's always just about if the guy can hit the shot, you, you're not going to stop it. But to give up both in that situation on the 5 on 3 and then on the power play after that was just really lame. <laughs> but they tied the game. And EJ was funny. Like McKinnon hit the post a couple times in these great plays. And then EJ just has this weird knuckler going at. <laughs> Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a little bit of hockey god smiling on them there. We have made mention that he only scores fun goals. He does. The first one was fun for sure, the big shot, and uh, well, that one was definitely fun because it tied the game. And Newhook's goal, I think we all wanted to specifically appreciate it because that was a really nice individual skilled play. He was just kind of like, I'm going to walk further in the slot and you can't stop me. Yeah, but it was, a, it was a backhand. He roofed it through like three people. I mean, that was an incredibly skilled play that, you know, if the game had ended differently, we'd probably be celebrating that one. I saw the second period a little different. I, I think the the Hawks actually made some pretty good adjustments, uh, both to their attitude and, and to the way they were playing as far as a, a forecheck and, and how they were playing in the neutral zone. And... It was just something that, like, obviously the, the Avs probably weren't going to make too many adjustments coming off of the first period. So, you know, they, it was the Hawks' counter move, and they made a good one, and, and they really dominated that second period. I, I think it's kind of nice to see. I mean, I, I don't like seeing Chicago as a doormat because even though they're kind of a an annoying team with the way NBC used to treat them and their fan base and all that, but... You know, it's kind of better when Chicago's a good team because they're they're usually a fun team to play. It's not like playing, you know, Columbus where they're just grinding out there. I mean, it's you usually get in, into a good game with Chicago and it it's fun, it's skilled. Well, you, know, you like besides... to see skilled teams do well because then right. it just encourages more of that. Um, it feels like a breath of fresh air to me when the Avs play these looser defensive teams, especially considering last year they were in the Grindarama division. It's like, you imagine they start playing like Chicago and some of these other teams, what, what it's going to be like. And it is yeah. kind of like that. It's a little bit more skilled game back and forth. You know, and, and, and the Hawks actually have some some decent young players. You know, they, they have Doc, they have Dabrinkit, Kubalik. You know, so they're they're kind of reloading with some good skill players. Still looking for some defense, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I just I that's something I I was definitely looking forward to last year is is starting to play you know Chicago again, just because you know I, I do think it's sort of good when they can make a good matchup with the Avs. It just makes for a fun game. It's fun to beat them, though. I mean, yeah, especially in their barn. 
But, you know, I, I do think that with the coaching change, they've definitely improved a lot. Like, they're they're a lot more respectable defensively, you know, personnel notwithstanding. I mean, they're still kind of working with a short stack there. But um, I think they just lost big to Arizona, so they got some stuff yeah, I mean, to figure out. But, but it happens. Like, it's right. the NHL, and there's still guys getting paid a lot of money, so... Any team can be- yeah. beat any team. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Winnipeg just beat Toronto, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Winnipeg's not bad. They were last night. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> but oh. um, if we're moving on to the overtime, I will say before we get to the, the goal herd around the world uh, that it, it did feel a little bit like a better overtime for them. One, they didn't get scored on on the first counter attack. So that's always helpful, but it did seem like they were a little bit more purposeful thinking a little bit more. I mean, Taves, they, Taves could have won that game. Uh, not, not our Taves, their Taves. Oh yeah. When he, he rang it, when he rang it off the post and Kemper overplayed that one for sure. Like he wasn't even in the net, but that happens in overtime. What you just want is give yourself a chance <laughs> It's, it is a little bit nerve wracking to trade chances, but that's at least what you want to see that your team had a chance. And I think that's why some of the overtimes were so disappointing in the past. It's just you either basically lose the face off or on the first counter attack, the other team scores, and you feel like you didn't even have a chance. Like sometimes either it was McKinnon or somebody didn't even shoot and they just lose the puck and then overtime's over. Yeah. So as long as you had a couple good looks, you feel a lot better about it as a coin flip type of thing. Well, it's just, they, it looked like they were using their heads out there. They're playing, you know, sort of with the mentality you want to see in overtime, which is something they, you know, they, you don't see a lot of the time with the abs in overtime. It's like, they just, they play like it's a regular, you know, it's, it's during regulation or something like that. You're like, you can't play like that. It's like, stay away from the boards. <laughs> yeah, it's don't okay skate into co- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't skate right into coverage. <clears throat> don't pass it behind you unless you're yeah. really sure. Don't pass it behind your defenseman. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to pinch. Make sure nothing bad happens. Oh, sorry. Then Kill McCarr had a moment, and that was pretty cool. I thought it was, it was an incredible goal. I'm even a little surprised it's still getting talked about like days later, which is cool, but it's it's neat to see how national it went. And that it was on ESPN maybe helped, even though it wasn't on the televised ESPN. But you know, <clears throat> when they're asking like Jack Hughes in an interview about it, you know it's a national global thing now. I think a tough thing about this season for the Avs, especially, is that the Western Conference is not getting a lot of respect, and not that it deserves a ton, uh, but it's just you, you have it might be seven teams in the East now over 700 uh, points percentage, if not Pittsburgh's real close. And it's you know, it's like all those teams have better winning percentage than than even the Avs. So it's it's just one of those things where you know, so the media is caught up in, in how good the Eastern Conference is and poo-pooing the the western conference so you know maybe it takes something like this to to get people to realize yes there are some good teams out there 
I think the West has more respectable teams. In the East, there's more the good and the bad. Like you can even yeah, because there are a lot of really bad teams, and, and that's why that that's how you get the discrepancy. If you look at the points percentage in the East, there's tons of teams over 700 and tons of teams under 500. And well, in the West, there's only the divisions, and there's like a clear top four and bottom four. There's yeah. I mean, the, the playoff little, positions are right. basically set in the East, but right now, you know, it's like D- Detroit is the only one that might make a move and they're like barely over 500. And, and in the going. West, both divisions have several teams that could still get into that conversation. So I guess it's just the way right. you want to look at it is are those Eastern teams necessarily better? Like, I think. Carolina's probably belongs in that conversation. Maybe they're one of the best teams. I think Florida's really good this year. But when you get into like the Rangers are above 700, I mean, come on. The Rangers are not that good. Yeah, they're a garbage team. And we can say Uh, that because we beat the pants off of them. Yeah. Twice. Twice. (laughs) So does that necessarily make them a better conference I don't. I mean, I don't think so. I, I just don't. I don't think a third of the way through the season, when you have your playoff positions determined, and I always say, like, oh, at American Thanksgiving, you basically know where everybody lays. But you know, to have everybody else in that conference not even close, I, I just, you know, I don't think that's healthy. I mean, at least in the West, you're, you know, you're looking at teams like Winnipeg and Los Angeles, and even Edmonton with with their big kind of fall right now. You know, you've got a gaggle of teams that are going to be playing for those wild card spots. You know, for at least the next. You know, 20 30 games at least yeah i don't think you can even say how the top three in the central division is going to shake out right now i guess you'd have to say colorado st louis and minnesota but yeah with minnesota losing Kuprasov, how's that going to hit them i still say st louis is fraudulent you know they're just one bennington losing streak <laughs> away from you know, not being that relevant. I'm still not convinced Nashville's a real team. We'll see. Yeah, it's, the Avs played it pretty well. We're going to throw out the COVID game because that wasn't real. Right. So we'll so see. It's like I, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I, it's like I don't have a, I don't have a, a good fix on I think they on, are on legitimately what, better. Like, they should have never been yeah. bad last year. I Maybe. I, I mean, it, like, the things they were bad at last year are things like, yeah, I mean, this, you, you kind of expect this. You know, they get really good goaltending. They have a really good goalie. That That's always a key. That gives you confidence. So it's, you know, that's leading to stronger play in other facets of their game, I guess. Um, but, you know, I, I would like to sort of get a, a best-on-best game with them just to, to figure out whether, you know, they're a real team and, and what kind of threat they are. And maybe we'll get it. Maybe. Only a few days yeah. away. But we have to give the Makar goal its proper love. I think our listeners want that. (laughs) It was just, you know, I remember watching it live and it's like the cut that he made was was like a moment in itself. But I think his finish and the move that Makar made to Deke Flurry and then went backhand. I mean, he went backhand on his offside, short side on the goal. That just that part in itself is crazy. Yeah, and it, you know, I I had to watch the game delayed because it was on a school night. So I, I had seen gifs and, and video clips of the goal several times. But it's you know, even knowing when it was happening, it was still just incredible to watch in the flow of the game. 
Yeah, it was just such an, an individual effort, but just the skill and the talent that it took to execute that. And it's one thing to try something. It's another thing to do it. And it being an overtime definitely gave him a car more room. But I also place importance on it won the game. Like that right there was an extra point. So yeah. it's like one thing to just score a random goal in a blowout. And that's cool. And, you know, we'll talk about those <laughs> next. But it's just shows that type of player Makar is that it's, it's not just about points and scoring. It's that like he consistently makes a difference that he's winning games, that he's moving the abs forward in like a meaningful way. And I think that's really important, at least in my mind. That's one of the things I appreciate most about him is, is like he uses his talent in a way and then it's a cliche, but he elevates his game. I think he's one of those guys that has a switch. Some guys thrive on the pressure in the moment and if you want to call that clutch or not, but it's just, he's a difference maker. And, you know, hopefully those things will be happening when it's even more important. Yeah. The, you know, the, the context really helps too, just because, you know, it's not like the first game against Chicago where they were just a doormat. Like, you know, they played well in this game. They came back, they got a lead, you know, they gave it up. But yeah, I mean, it's like Flurry was playing really well. He traditionally plays the abs pretty strong. So this, you know, this wasn't just like beating up on some doormat. Like, you know, that this was a competitive overtime that they had almost lost a, a minute beforehand. You know, it was, a, it was a very strong move in a, in a crucial situation with lots of pressure. And even the stage itself is something, if you, if you want to look at that sort of situational element to it, you're playing an original six team on their ice in a 21st century version of a national telecast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, the irony, right? But it's true. <laughs> At least you had the national broadcasters. Who, if, and yeah, we'll, we'll have our, you know, our criticisms of the broadcasting teams, regardless of origin. But there was more, I think, emphasis on the play of the Blackhawks as the game progressed. And then that just, Shut it off. They just shut it off. <laughs> and I appreciated Weeks's reaction. It felt like an authentic, natural, what anybody watching would have thought about that. Like, he didn't oversell it. He didn't undersell it. It was just like, wow, holy crap, what was that? Which is what we were all saying. Yeah, and I, re I really appreciate <clears throat> that about Weeks when he calls a game. is is He really does just sort of blurt out what he's thinking. And he's smart, and he... he you know, he's knowledgeable about the game, so it's not just, you know, sort of fan blurts, but, you know, it's it's genuine amazement at a really good play. So that was really nice. And I, I do, I, I agree, like, during the second period, the Chicago homerism kind of came out a lot. And, it, you know, it should have, because, like, they looked not great at all in the first period, and then they came out and dominated the ads in the second, so... Well, you know, and I mean, as they, far as selling a game, like, they can see in the standings the difference between these two teams like they, right. they're in the business of selling it as like this is interesting you should watch so they were probably thrilled that it was a competitive back and forth game that ended in overtime that it wasn't just some someone rolling over and, and then like what the heck did they talk about for two hours 
Yeah. If they had a little more historical context, which, you know, again, this is kind of new for ESPN and as far as broadcasting the NHL in this decade, you know, they would know that generally when you get the Avs and the Hawks together, you get some pretty interesting stuff. So it's like, you know, you didn't need to hype and look for stories. I mean, the, the, the game in front of them, other than the second period, was very entertaining. Yeah, that's the, t- the kind of game they should want to sell. Like, I think it could be even like a good winter classic type of matchup. I think the Avs should be the visiting team for probably the next one or even the winter classic. But you're right. They should look for those type of matchups would be maybe more of an entertainment factor than St. Louis, Minnesota. (laughs) That doesn't sound very entertaining to me. It doesn't sound entertaining one bit. (laughs) Earl, I want to go back to your point about Kevin Weeks and his enthusiasm for the game. And it got me thinking about, had this game been called by John Butchagross, if that would have, I don't want to say tarnished the moment, just because Butchagross is a goofball. But I'm pretty confident that it wouldn't have had that same wow, awe factor that Weeks brought to the call versus whatever Butchagross would have tried to pull out of his brain at that point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's always, that's something I really cringe about when I see that ESPN Plus is doing a game, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to have to deal with Booch. And, you know, we've gotten pretty lucky. Um, Bob Wichowson has, has done play-by-play for the last two. Um, this game, we had Kevin Weeks and then Emily Kaplan between the benches. And the first one, we had Brian Boucher in the booth and, and AJ Malesko between the be- benches. So it's like we've gotten pretty lucky in that we haven't had to deal with someone trying to insert themselves into the game constantly bummed doing play by play. But it's, you know, I like Brian Boucher. He's, he's kind of a dry analytical guy, but, but, you know, Kevin Weeks, you know, has that sort of enthusiasm. And, you know, it just turned out great. And and the videos that they put up later of, of the view behind them as they were calling that, you know, it's really nice to see broadcasters be astounded by something like that. You know, they're supposed to be detached and all that. But it's like when something like that happens, anyone has to be impressed. They even had him on Altitude Radio, which, like, I never listened to their other guests or whatever, but I... Like, they tweeted it right at, like, when he was going to be on. So I'm like, fine, let's see what he has to say. So it was interesting to have him just on the radio discuss his thought about what what it was like watching it live and calling it. And it was a short segment, but, like, to your point, to even involve him in, like, as a national media person in the local media is, I think, something more that the Avs need to do because it, it kind of, like, marries the two things. And yeah. we feel like the abs kind of exist in their own universe. <laughs> and, you know, in some ways... I'm broadcasting it, it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine to a certain extent, but sometimes things do need a little bit more attention. And, and the McCargles certainly deserve that attention. And it was nice seeing him, like he was interviewed live on the next night in intermission of the TNT game that was on you know what you want to call national tv now so i thought it was cool that they they got a live interview with him to talk about it so like i said it's cool just to see a a moment like that that becomes national news and let's be honest he's gonna need those things to win awards 
even though he's a little shy and, and, and boyish and all that, he's more media friendly than McKinnon is. <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah, like, he is so humble about it, too. But I think you're right. You can kind of tell he sort of enjoys it. <laughs> yeah. So... Definitely, like he—he's a good ambassador, and and I like how McKinnon and Landy just like they just threw all those quotes out there, like, "Oh yeah, he needs to win the Norris and stuff." Like they know what they're doing. Like he'd be winning his second Norris this year. (laughs) (laughs) You know, of course they're going to hype their teammate, like everybody does. But just getting those quotes out there, they circulate around. You know, like these things just need to percolate. And it needs to start now. And obviously, Makar is going to make the all-star team. And, you know, all these things kind of add up. And as I said before on another podcast, he's certainly going to have to be pretty close in the statistical conversation. But, you know, it also doesn't hurt having 14 goals. (laughs) And if that keeps up, if he gets to 30, for me, the mark is 30. Like, I know that talk about on pace for 40 and how that would be like a record and blah, blah, blah. I that's probably a little unrealistic. 40 I mean, definitely is. I, Yeah. But 30, I think, is possible. And that would be a huge achievement. Yeah. Because we all know scoring kind of tails off a little bit as the season goes on, especially if it looks as, as densely packed as, as it probably will be pretty much from now on. You know, you're not going to have the same per goal type opportunities even. But, you know, 30 is still really really difficult to get for a defenseman and i've said before even 20 i, I really don't have a, a lot there's not a lot pointing to that he couldn't make 30 easily well 20 is even significant i think there's only been since the lockout like 25 or so seasons where def- for a defenseman to hit 20 points or 20 goals i'm sorry so like he'd even be in that somewhat notable significant category just at 20 and the 30 is certainly rarefied error i mean 30 so. goals for anyone's incredible <laughs> for a defenseman yeah, yeah it's it just I doesn't mean, happen right you know it's like peter forsberg never scored 30 goals so mckinnon probably won't score 30 this year <laughs> i doubt it <laughs> I'd have 150 assists, but yeah. Yeah, I know. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to him later, but I think Makar is shooting more. I think he does have a little bit more confidence in letting that shot go, trying not to, to defer as much. I think that's something that Bednar has mentioned. So that's also fueling a little bit. He does have a high shooting percentage. I mean, sure, some of it is getting a little bit lucky, but he still hits the post all the time, too. It's not like every single shot's going in. Yeah, I mean, the, the the key to having a high shooting percentage is finding space like he did the other night. And he's very good at that. You know, and that, that's that's not easy for anyone in today's NHL. I mean, that's pretty much the, the goal of any defensive setup is to not give guys time and space. And, you know, luckily for him, the best thing he can do is create time and space for himself. So, And that's why defensemen goal totals are so low is – how many of them can even have the hands to make a play like that at the net? Like, it's one thing yeah. to have a good shot and shoot it in. Like, even have a good wrist shot, which is becoming more and more common for the top defensemen, is, is they have good wrist shots and they can score that way, but they're still only scoring about 10 or so goals a year. Right. And 
the Av system obviously is tailored to that because they have so many o- offensive threats from the blue line that you know they they become sort of not a, a traditional defenseman at all. They don't stay at the blue line. They pinch down a lot. Um, positions are, are very fluid between defense and, and forwards in the offensive zone, and it, it really helps not only McCarr but, but Taves and Barber and Sam. You know, get involved with the offense and have chances not just to you know lay a shot on the net and have somebody get a rebound and, and get a cheap assist like they're in there shooting for the net for goals and i think for me that is the most exciting part of this team is that it is a competitive advantage like to have so many defensemen that are intelligent great skaters and have enough skill to shoot and score on your goals and also make real skilled plays like just even for assists, like teams want one of them and we have four, which is <laughs> just, I mean, it's hard not to put EJ in there now. Well, EJ, yes and no. Like definitely when he's playing his best and he's skating and he's shooting, he just adds another layer to it. He's not quite, you know, the playmaker, the skilled, the IQ. He is still a little bit more of kind of the, old school style used to be number one type obviously he doesn't play that much anymore but certainly when he's going and he's able to score too it's just then there's always somebody on the ice that can score you know if i told you at the beginning of the season that ej would play each of the first 30 (laughs) games and he would be half a point per game you know you'd tell me i was nuts he's shown that capability i think you would be happy that he he wasn't done. Um, we'll see how long he can go. Obviously, it it's going to be exhausting. All these games are going to play. Like, is he going to be able to keep up? But yeah, it's been a great season for him for sure. Like defensively, he does get a little iffy. Like even Bednar said that today. They're like, "How great is Eric Johnson playing?" He's like, "Well, <laughs> he has his moments." It's like basically what Bednar even said. But yeah, but um, I mean, I'm mean, all right. Look at Taves' game last night. Like that, a lot of people were saying, that was probably his worst defensive game of the the season, and I'd probably have to do, agree. He just didn't have it. So it's like you know, you get those games every once in a while, and, and with EJ, obviously they're going to happen a little bit. More. Um, it's, you know, he's just not as skilled anymore. But if you know, I think it probably helps him that EJ doesn't have to play a lot. Yeah, like. Um, he played a little bit more last night, but I think in the Chicago game, he played like 12 minutes. Like, that's really low for EJ. Yeah. And I think that was even when Jack Johnson left the game. And EJ still only played 12 minutes. I mean, I, I think I, I think the reason he's made it to 30 games, you know, he, he's not having to play 16, 17 even. You know, I, I think JB pretty much knows, like, it's kind of like the Burakovsky factor we we all talk about that, you know, if you go past a certain amount of time on ice with Burakovsky, you're not going to get more out of him. You're just going to get bad. <laughs> right, exactly. And, so. and I think that's kind of the same thing with EJ. It's like, give me 15 strong minutes at the most, and hopefully I can play like 13, 14, and, and it's going to work out. And it's nice and, he doesn't have to block every shot or be there in every Defensive situation. They're not using him like he's the only guy that's going to bring them to the finish line. He's just one of them, and that helps too. 
Right. But I mean, it's a, you know, it, it's great to see just because you know you take the the top four guys and then you throw EJ playing the way he is now. I mean, it's just you know, it's like how do you how, how do you take that on if you're an opposing coach? I mean, it's just no one else plays like that, so <clears throat> you can't really say like, oh, it's it's like playing these guys and we have to do this and that. It's like you have to come up with a whole new strategy when you play Colorado. Yeah, which is cool. I love that. I love that it makes them unique because there are so many good players in the league. Like, there's a lot. I love our forwards, but a lot of other teams have really good forwards. And who would have ever thought that the Avs' strength possibly is their defense? Like even more than the forwards. Yeah, like, I mean, if, I've... if you would have said that five years ago, that the Avs probably have best defense and group of defensemen in the league you just be like how did that happen <laughs> you probably think boy we signed Barry to an eight-year deal like people would have thought that it's because like Barry's still here and EJ is still going is why and it, it's just like no it's absolutely not why yeah and it's it's like this summer when everyone was fretting that we were losing Saad and Donnie and they're like oh how are we gonna make this up we didn't make any big moves and I'm like just look at that defense that <laughs> Those guys make it possible to get by with not throwing down for free agent wings. And it's also like, yeah, it's like you're going to have to pay up for those guys because they're important and they do a lot for your team. But it's like defensemen in general are a little bit cheaper than forwards and they're already here. So they're not free agents. So it's like there's kind of a goldmine cap wise with having the kind of defense that they do right now. Which is why Sam's not expendable. Like, him on a $5 million contract is going to be worth a lot moving forward. The The big question is, how do they keep Taze? I think it's going to be tough. I don't think, because he's going to be worth a lot on the market. Yeah. And I just think they're not going to be able to keep him. I, I've seen some people say, well, just get rid of Sam then and pay Taze. It's like, is he going to take $5 million? No. <laughs> yeah. But that's when you hope that Byram is able to even fill even bigger shoes and, you know, maybe some miracle happens. Some of the other defensemen could be part of the team, like Baron, Hellison, Barons, you know, dream big, fairy dust. But it's, so it's also, if you're, if you're looking at, at Tave's salary spot, you're looking at, yeah, it's like if you earmarked EJ's money for McKinnon too, and, you know, there's it's there's only so much to go around, but it's, you know, I, I think it, it, it is important if you can keep that top four together for, for long term and you're gonna have to pay Bo too. But it's like if you keep those guys on, you know, big contracts, but then you don't throw down for, you know, the sods of the world. If you don't feel the need to go out and, and overpay Burkowski to, to return or whatever. You know, maybe they can make it work. That is a strategy point. Yeah, it's like there's it's a strategy point that that really doesn't have an answer, um, and and obviously like they have to prove it in the playoffs. Like they have to do they have to be able to get past the second round with this strategy to to really you know want to make it work. But if it does, then that's kind know. of what this season feels like. It, it's just waiting to get to that test to see have they learned anything? Have they gotten any better? Is it going to work? And I don't like putting it on such it's almost like an ultimatum saying like you have to get past the second round or else like this group just isn't going to do it or this strategy or whatever you want to say, isn't going to cut it. And 
that just feels so black and white. It obviously depends how it happens, what happens, etc. But it's also true. Like you have to show progress. You have to show that this group can win a championship. So it is going to be hard to see until then. But this, the spooky thing is just how their record has been the same. Did we talk about on other podcasts? Like it, when they had 28 points, and I don't remember how many games it was after, but for four years straight, they had 28 points, same point in the season. And the exact same record, too. I think it was, what, 13, 7, and 1 or something like that. And then now, when they hit 40 points after 28 games, it was the exact same record three years in a row. That is really, really spooky. So we well, basically it, are living the same version of the same season three times over. Yeah, it's like after 30 games, we have 42 points. Last year, we had 42 <laughs> points. And the year before, we had 41. Which is crazy through all the injuries, the pandemic, stoppages, goalie implosion. It's the same record. <laughs> same team. And it, it's the same it, season. And it's happened so many times. I I always go back to the, you know, when Quenville was the coach and they had 95 points three years in a row. Now, obviously, yeah. you'll take that. They're obviously a good team, so that it's a good season to watch over and over again. Yeah. I feel like it's trying to tell us something, and I'm not exactly sure what, but it's, it is pretty spooky. <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> the last two seasons diverged at some point and ended up quite different. So, did it? Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, they did. <laughs> lost in the second round, like it, it was kind of the same. No, I'm just saying, as far as the regular season point totals, like last year, you know, obviously playing bad teams all the time, they just ended up with a, a ton more points. But well, that's the other thing too. They were in a completely different division, playing the same team, and they had the same number of points. Yeah. <laughs> It's bizarre, but so two point two two things I want to bring up here, and I I know we've we've gone around the carousel here with the def, with the defense here, but to that point about the record, we've s- somewhat debunked that it's a personnel thing because the core has largely stayed intact. There's been maybe some ancillary moves on a few of the other lines. Of course, the biggest change happened this past off season with the, the group hour going to Seattle and camper uh, coming up from Arizona. But in spite of that, or despite that, at what point do we say, we got to give the nod to the systems that are in place, that it's because of the coach or it's because of something in the coaching staff. Sure. I like Benar and I've generally stuck up for him that I like his approach to the team. I, I think his open-mindedness has me defense a lot of what it is because that's something that I fear another coach would come in and really micromanage or completely change because you definitely have to have some stones to basically say like you all can pinch and do all this and generate offense and everything. So I think Bednar definitely deserves credit there. Um, you know, we've talked for years about is he holding the team back in other areas, special teams. Uh, when scoring does dry up, it really does seem tough for this team. So I think those shortcomings are are things that they still have yet to solve. So it's sort of both. I think he does deserve a lot of credit, but we also haven't crossed the finish line either. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think... Uh, the special teams issues, especially the power play 
It's really spooky because if you look back historically, like the Avs have just never had, you know, sort of that Washington Capitals, like 30% kind of power play. It's like even when they had, you know, back in 96, when they had an all-star team, you know, it was like 23%, Um, you know, back in 2001, when they had um, Bork and Blake on the blue line, it's like they're still sitting there around 22%. Um, It's just historically... That's just not something that the franchise has ever been that proficient at as far as just being elite among the league. It's not saying they didn't score a ton of goals. I think also in general, they've always drawn a lot of penalties. So it's like, and and Peter McNabb always says, it's like, don't tell me your percentage, you know, just how many power play goals per game are you getting? And I know statistically that's dumb, but it's kind of a good way to look at it like, you're just not going to get that many, you know, goals per game out of your special teams. You know, it's like if you get two, that's a lot. Sure, I can see what you're saying. Like, once you start getting in the fourth, fifth, sixth power play, it probably doesn't right. do much. Exactly. And yeah, I, if you're, if you're saying, on your sixth power play, you're either losing big or winning big. So, And for me, it's sort of like face-offs. Like... You know, a percentage is one thing, but you have to be able to make it count when it matters. Like well, I was looking at face-off percentage when we're on the league today, and like the worst <laughs> teams are the Avs, the Panthers, the Caps, and one of the. I, I think I don't. It's not Carolina, but it's another one of the elite teams. And you're like, I, I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything because it's like each face-off is important, but your percentage isn't. And that's why I think that stat needs to be split up into situation. Like you have to start talking about face off percentage, like in the D zone. Can we at least do that? Can we at least have like, you know, and it's filter funny out like, all the noise and see like who can win a face off in the D zone? You know, that might be kind of important. Cause if you look at the reports, uh, ad, like in the NHL.com reports, it, those little things at the bottom of the, the game sheets, you know, along the, with the time on ice and everything like that, they have a face-off report. Each guy that took a face-off, they have him for offensive, defensive, neutral zone, and then specialty. So it's like they do break it down like that. Yeah, so not... I just don't know why it hasn't really been accepted. It, it just it seems obvious it's something that needs more context to try to find. And right, and you were wondering the other night, like, why do they keep putting Newhook out in the defensive zone for draws? And it's like, you know, his his faceoff percentage is like 38. It's not very good at all. But it's like, there's a reason Bednar does that. Like, what he's trying to get out of it isn't an NHL.com faceoff win, but it's like, (laughs) they will end up with the puck four seconds later more often than not kind of thing. And that doesn't go into the statistics. And that's why he wants Newhook out there. They're like, there are a lot of things that go into face-offs that don't get reflected in just the, the straight-up percentage. Well, it, in face-offs, we know it also depends on how much the wingers help win the face-off. It's not necessarily right. just the guy taking it. and Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. When I made that observation, it was the Ducks game. Just because when I, I'm there, I notice things differently. You just see things differently live. And they, he just put new hook, that new hook line in the D zone like every draw. And I'm talking about like after a commercial like it was very purposeful and they didn't do well like they're right <laughs> their their puff possession was not good and then they put like Bo and sam there with them and it, it 
it was like making it more difficult on them and i'm just like why was benner just wanting to like spice up his afternoon i don't know like to me it was it was a lot more stressful than i would have wanted if i was one making the decisions but it, yeah, the only thing I can think of is he was trying something or he was looking for something with matchups or... Maybe he just felt like they could hold their own and he definitely wanted to get the big line and Makar out there in the Ozone draws. And, right. And I get I get that. Like, you can't have everything. So you're going to have to make a decision about what's the most important in the game. It's like in the Winnipeg game, which we haven't even talked about yet, that like Makar and Taze were more used def- like in the D zone, more in defensive situations for some reason, you know, in the Ducks game, they all were getting a lot of offense situations. So Yeah. It just And it's weird it, because it depends what they're going for. With and that kind of usage, their their shot there was really bad. Yeah. It definitely wasn't a good game for McCarr and which very no, rare. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, <laughs> like, like I always say, like, don't look at those stats and say, like, oh, this guy was bad at possession. It's like this is the usage stat. Like, if you look at a yeah. guy and he has a bad shot share, it's like that's defensive usage. That's purely what it means. It's not like whether he's good or not. Well, it, you shouldn't make evaluations on one game. Like, I always look on a game by game basis, but. You really need at least like a 10 game sample if you just want to draw any conclusions because like one bad shift can just crater you. Like I looked at last night, um, like Obey Kubel had a really bad shift. Yeah, that one shift he had where yeah. it was like 07. <laughs> exactly. He had one shift with Kadri and Burakovsky and yep. they were 0 and 7 in 40 seconds. Yep. And that just kills your, your whole evening. Like, exactly. <laughs> Because I was looking at, like, Newhook, you know, he was fairly even, and Obey Cavell was, like, buried, and I'm like, <laughs> they're on the same line. What's up with that? And it's like, one shift has killed it. Yep. I know the exact same thing. I was like, boy, that was that was not a good 40 seconds. <laughs> but going back to, like, what Bednar does, it's interesting when he gets a little bit more descriptive when he's explaining something. He really does think a lot about left and right shot, having them out like he said on the penalty kill he wants to have a left and right shot defenseman he's talking about why he puts jost out with certain people why he puts comfort out with certain people like i swear half of the reason why he like seems obsessed with comfort is just because he's a right shot like that's the only yeah. option they have and he just really wants a right shot in a lot of different situations and he's the guy well, it's true because, I mean, a lot of times we see, like, I know Sam doesn't mind playing on the right side, but it, like, and, and I've seen Taves like this a lot of times, like, if he's out with Byram or, or Jack Johnson or something like that. It's like when they're on their offside, it's really hard for them to get the puck out of the zone because it's like they're trying to backhand it up the boards and it's just, it's, it's awkward. You know, it, it, it costs you a second and that second is the difference between getting it out and getting it real close. Yeah, for sure. Like ideally you would have three right shot Ds. It's just, you're never going to find three that are of high quality. Oh, but you can because <laughs> if you draft <laughs> them, <laughs> if you have Makar and Hellison and Baron, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> hopes and dreams, hopes and dreams. But yeah, I mean, it's not like you're going to take Bo out of the top four because he's a left shot. Like sometimes no. you just 
it's better it's better with him but it like i said it's interesting hearing bednar explain it just because at least you know what they're thinking like you may not agree with it or whatever but it helps me to at least get why he wants to do things a certain way so i think that's something we we or at least i should be more conscious of is you know the the left and the right shot and and on face-offs things like that I know, and, and, and like Babcock got a lot of criticism for being obsessed with that. With he the was Leafs. way too. He he would have had Bo in the bottom six, right? Because of the left shot thing. Like exactly. At some point, you just have to, you know, talent prevails over <laughs> rigid. Right, game. but it just it, it's it, it, the reasons why he he thinks that way are valid, but it's just you don't have to be OC about it. Yeah, sometimes the better player is going to make the better play. So I don't know if that answered your question or not, Vlad, but I think uh, my overall answer is I do think Bednar deserves a lot of credit. I, I think he is a positive for this team more than a negative. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree. I, you know, I, I, I think we give a lot of grief to his assistants, and I think they have a difficult job um, just because, you know, like we've been talking about all night, you know the, the the abs don't play the same way every other team in the, the league does so it's like what what you're doing as an assistant with the avalanche is not something you can sort of draw on your experience to deal with it's like you're you're learning on the job and you're you're reading and reacting every night on how things work and trying things and, and what you might try next i think one point i wanted to make about the power play just before we move on is when you mentioned that they just have never been that elite, elite team on the power play. I, I think you need players that are elite power play players. And the Avs have a lot of really good players and the elite five on five and everything. But I really think the only truly special power play player they have is Miko. Obviously, McKinnon gets his, McCarr gets his. I think McCarr could be if they used him more creatively. But McKinnon's just not an elite power play guy. And so maybe that also hamstrings them as much as we and I have a lot complained about the system, but there's just certain guys where that's where they make their money. Like new hooks one. We'll see if he ever gets to a point where he's like power play one in his career, but just certain. If only he was right-handed guys, (laughs) (laughs) but you know what I mean? Just certain guys have that skill set, just something about their talent and the power play just go hand in hand. And that that's why they're so good on demand advantage. So before we leave the uh, extended conversation about it's Kale McCarr's universe and we're all just living in it. (laughs) I want to revisit a conversation that we had at the very beginning of the season when we were scratching our heads about him being out of the lineup and he just wasn't looking like himself. He wasn't shooting the puck. He didn't look confident. There was something off that we observed in his game at that point. And now roll the calendar back to right now. And he just had that performance in overtime in Chicago. And look how far we've come. And it's just, it's inconceivable to think that we've gone from What's wrong with Kale McCarr to what is right in the world w- with Kale McCarr? Yeah, and it, it's kind of shifted too because whatever was wrong with his arm or his wrist or whatever it ended up being, you know, that's fine now. Well, I don't um, even know. We think there's something wrong maybe with either one of his ankles or perhaps one of his knees right now. And that's, that's why he was 
What's he missed? I, I, which game did he miss? He had a maintenance. Oh well, uh, he missed because of COVID. No, but he, mi- he missed the Nashville game. No, um, he missed a game early in December. That, yeah. What was it? The Ottawa game? Yeah, something like that. When him and Nas. Yeah, when him and Kadri didn't play, it was the Ottawa game? Yeah, and then um, then his maintenance well, day. So it's like you know, there's something that you know he's not 100, percent which is scary. I think it affects him though. I, I I don't know if it's mentally he just doesn't feel as confident with it, or he just really needs to feel good to play that way. And it, I'd say maybe the Anaheim game wasn't his best either. The whole team is rusty. It's not fair to just say that he wasn't quite humming at Kilm Car level, you know. But he didn't get a point uh, last night. <laughs> well, it wasn't the greatest game for him in that. That either, but they didn't need it. Yeah. So, I guess is it hard to say because I know uh, we were all saying that Bo was the best defenseman in in October, and which is not like that's a bad thing to say that, <laughs> but it is crazy to think you know McCarr didn't have that creative in October, and why did it take him so long to get going? Was it whatever issue he's dealing with? It seems like he still is dealing with in some capacity or. Does it just take him a while to get warmed up? I don't know. I, maybe that's something that we're going to learn more as the years go by. It's just, is he a mo? I don't think he's necessarily a momentum guy, like a guy like Burakovsky that I talk about. I don't know that it's like he needs to see one go in to feel good. I just think maybe his body needs to feel good. Like he just needs to have one of those games where he just can do whatever he wants. And then he's, he's like ready to go. He also gets ghost points that people don't notice. I mean, it's not as bad as like Miko, where everyone's like, "Oh, he's been terrible." And you're like, "He had points in the last three games," you know? <laughs> yeah, that's like exactly Miko. <laughs> you know, I hate calling him ghost points because that sort of cheapens them. But it's like, you know, you, you win a game and it really wasn't that close, and you're just like, "Oh, where was Randon all night?" And it's like. <laughs> he had a goal and three assists. What do you want? You know. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like if you're not making the one big flashy play that sticks out, it's it's hard to remember, and that is true. When we get into three and four games a week, it is hard to remember every single goal. Like I watch every game, and it's still like sometimes what goal was in that game, just because it does blend together. And if one wasn't a really standout play or moment or something, they they get hard to remember. So I'd say like a lot of Miko's goals at the time is like, oh yeah, look at that. That was great. But you just, you just don't remember it like 48 hours later. Maybe it's because it happens all the time. <laughs> and, and Gabe was the same way. Like last night when I posted like both those guys last five games, you know, cause you know, people are wondering, you know, like, oh gosh, you know, it's like if Mac would be doing better, if those guys would help him out. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they're all doing pretty well. It's just, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what you're looking for, you know? I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I guess the only thing I can think of is is you sort of get used to these guys being so good. You know, you, you forget that, like, Gabe's on a, you know, 15-game point streak or whatever, that Miko is just racking up points like you wouldn't believe. I mean, so, yeah, like you said, I, I think Makar can fall into that. Like, it's just a baseline of greatness that, we kind of expect and it just isn't memorable but i don't know he's such a unique player and then obviously him being a defenseman it's easier to rem- remember what he he does on a night-to-night basis yeah 
And I think we have our podcast title for uh, this episode. Oh, no. What was it? <laughs> Baseline of Greatness. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, that's Makar. I think that accurately describes him. All right. Let's move on to uh, last pick. night's game. <laughs> Which now that we've said like the last own, right? the Brazil, yeah, now that we've said like, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's another good one, Brazil of the week. <laughs> a winter chill was in full effect in the Mile High City this past Thursday, but if you ask the Jets, they'd swear they had flown much further south than Denver, say Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> After jumping out to a hot start early on the power play, the Jets would get burned for seven straight goals by the Avs, including Gabe Landeskog's fourth career hat trick, a goal and five assists from Nathan McKinnon, a goal and two assists. There's your ghost points, Earl, for <laughs> Miko Rantanen. <laughs> and Gabe, Gabe is, stole one of his goals, too. <laughs> <laughs> Nazem Kadri's 12th goal of the season, and with the piece de resistance, Bo Byram with the nightcap, and there's your 7-1 Avs victory. And hey, on top of that, Darcy Kemper finishes with 34 consecutive saves on the night. However... I get that sh- shutout one of these days. <laughs> uh, amid all of this, however, was our first entry into the cheap shot catalog for 2022 when Pierre-Luc Dubois... Wow. All right. That was well-timed. I'm keeping that in there. You should. When Pierre-Luc Dubois tagged Nazem Kadri with a hit at center ice, it sent him tumbling down and briefly to the locker room shortly thereafter. Logan O'Connor would come to his teammates' aid, and both wound up sitting in the, in the box for roughing minors, while Dubois would get the extra interference penalty for his hit. So uh, here we go again, y'all. Uh, thoughts on that? I don't know. I guess I don't have Benny because Nas was fine. and He did get pulled by the spotter, though. Yeah. Even in- I mean, I don't like it. I don't like headshots. I don't necessarily think this one was a headshot. It no. Was sort of I mean, JB said that, that Nas said he didn't get hit in the head. And, and- yeah, and it was sort of those one of those blindside like, guys going off on a change and just might as well just hit the guy while you're on your way there. Yeah. So you kind of expect that with Winnipeg. Like I, I'm a big Dubois fan, and I don't think he plays dirty. And you know, I know his game fairly well for a, a guy that doesn't play on our team. And I don't think he's like that. But the Jets sort of encourage it too. Um, you know, so physical plays fine as long as guys don't get hurt, which I know is like the end shouldn't justify the means, but that's just kind of reality. Like, a good hard hit is nice when the guy doesn't get hurt. And, and oh, by the way, Landy having to answer the bell for hitting Doc when he didn't get hurt, that was ridiculous. Come on. Again. <laughs> uh, that was a little silly. Like, we've talked about that hit. It was awkward. It was a little more than necessary. But was that the kind of hit that needed a fight m- three months later? Yeah, after he already right. went through one. I mean... I, I can I can understand silly. why Landy might have been chirping him, you know, if he's he's gonna have two guys come and settle his differences. You know, it's like it, Doc's not a small guy. Like, you know, if if that's gonna be a problem, you should take care of it yourself at least for the, the second <laughs> time. <clears throat> and I say that, you know, and I like Doc too, and it, 
I don't think he would shy away from that kind of thing either. I mean, I, I realize he's had a broken wrist and stuff like that, so he probably doesn't want to, but... Um, I think he had a fight not that long ago, but... I mean, that's also not what he's there for. I don't know. Right. It's, but it's... It, that, well, that's Kadri fine as long as your people. buddy doesn't try to take it up, too. <laughs> but, you know, as far as the Kadri thing goes, yeah, I mean, it was like... It was very Winnipeg, and... I'm fine with it. You know, I, I, I don't mind the way Winnipeg plays. I, they play kind of dirty. It's not as bad as it used to be. They've lost a lot of their bad actors. You know, <laughs> it's like when Buffalo used to do stuff like that, I really didn't like it. Um, you know, when you just sort of run over the goalie at the end of a game when they're down five goals or something like that, you just didn't appreciate it. But Dubois is a good compliment to them. And they got some, some of the bigger guys, still Wheeler and Shifley, but they do try to play more of a skilled game, I'd say. Yeah. No, I mean, I, Kyle Connor is one of my favorite players in the league. I mean, he, he's a, you know, he's, he's absolutely fun to watch. I mean, he was every time he had the puck on their power play, I was just like, ah, because you, know, <laughs> <clears throat> you know what he can do, and he's, you know, he's fun to watch. That's you know, that, that's kind of like what you would like to see when Winnipeg comes to town. Sort of a nice, you know, skilled back and forth. If it gets a little physical, like, like that's fine too. That's sort of the personality of when the Jets come to town. You know, again, with, with without Buffalo there and, and some of the, the guys they used to have, it's, you know, it's not as egregious as it used to be. So yeah, it definitely could have been worse for sure. So yeah, like I said, I was fine with it. It, it didn't hit him in the head. He just, yeah, just glad nothing happened and just chalk it up to a hit. Yeah. I mean, it, if we were watch- if this game had been happening, you know, three years ago, um, I-, I think once it got to be sort of like four one five one, you know, in that territory, oh, they just would have totally gooned it right. up, and and you hate to see that too, right? I'm glad they've either realized that that's pointless, uh, counterproductive, or whatever. You know, it's just well, I also feel like Winnipeg was in this game a lot longer than maybe people would expect if they didn't watch it or they just watched the highlights. Like they had those power plays at the beginning of the third period, and it was four to one at that point. But but they were total bullshit calls. <laughs> <laughs> well, our our favorite Coke machine was part of a couple of those. <laughs> um, you know, it it felt like they still had life in the game. Yeah, if they got one of those power play goals, sure, okay, four to two isn't like that big of a deal, but they had enough going, like. I thought it was a good game for probably the first 40, 45 minutes or so because they were sort of trading chances that Winnipeg had the skill working. Connor certainly had his chances. It it felt like a back and forth. It, it felt more evenly matched. Yeah, I mean, and I then, thought Winnipeg did a very good job in the neutral zone for probably the first half of the game. I think the dagger was when McKinnon finally scored. Like, first of all, he definitely needed to score that and I for me that was my favorite goal of the game like obviously both scoring in the last 10 seconds it's just awesome to see him score at any time but you know I, I always call that garbage time it definitely was and ladies hat trick like it's always cool when you see a guy score a hat trick but like I said my favorite goal I think was the McKinnon one because one it was the that was the dagger two he finally scored the damn goal right and it was a nice play and a nice shot. And and three, I just loved how it was set up. I don't remember what forward, but I think a, a forward lost it at the blue line and Byram had to go out into the neutral zone. 
and recover the puck. And he did. And just how fast that he changed that play around, which would have was very close to being a breakaway for Winnipeg. He transitioned the puck to Sam quickly. And then he had a great pass to McKinnon and then he just scored. And it was just like bang, bang, bang like that. So quick that they were able to score. And so for me, that's why that was my favorite goal of the game. And that just really showed how fast the Avs can turn things around. That's where they won the game, in my opinion. Yeah, that was definitely a good dagger. I, I really liked Byram's goal. And you can say, like, oh, it's in, in the grand scheme of things, it's statistically meaningless and, and all that. But it, it's really nice to see, you know, the, the coach putting, you know, sort of Byram and EJ out on the power play late, sort of a, you know, a blowout like that. And, you know, a guy like Byron kind of getting back in the lineup after missing time needs a little confidence. It's like that's going to go a long way for Byron's confidence, even though it's a, a meaningless goal. So it, it's really not that meaningless. Oh, yeah, for sure. And he had a great play in the first period where he hit the post. Yeah. So it was sort of like getting his reward that he earned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> like he needs a goal, damn it. And it's still pretty cool that he leaves. Rookie defenseman and goal scoring. It's always nice to see Byron get points. And like you said, it just gives him that confidence that his game's coming back and he can be more and more aggressive. Because we know that boy can be really aggressive (laughs) when he's feeling it. I think the most aggressive of probably anybody on the team. Like, he can really push it. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, I think that's sort of a a youthful enthusiasm that they're allowed to indulge just because, you know, he's not asked to be the number one at his age. You know, it's like, you know, Taves is, is, is asked to be the conservative one or maybe even EJ uh, and Sam. So it, 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 it's kind of a nice way for him to develop, way for him to develop just because he's allowed to be aggressive and fit right in with the way they play. Which is interesting because... You know, like a lot of the other guys get it through being on the power play one unit or playing a lot of minutes, which Byram does play a lot of minutes. He plays a lot of even strength, so it adds up. But just that he's allowed to be that offensively impactful in a different way, I guess you could say. Yeah. But I'm just I'm I'm glad something like that can add to his confidence because I mean like the one thing I've seen in the in the last three games is he's not where he was early in the season in the defensive zone. Like, he's still making kind of the same plays. It's just it's taking him a second longer, or he has to dust the puck off or something like that. So it's like that's that's probably where the coaching staff wants to see him get quicker and back up the speed, Um, you know, which we all know he can. But it's just, you know, you need to have the confidence on the ice to do that. And and scoring a goal, however meaningless it is, will help that. Yeah, I always take it. I mean, the best part of any game is is, uh, firing points. That's for sure. And I love the point you made, like, you know, as with the other two games this week, you know, they technically trailed in this game. For quite a while, actually. They did. Yeah, <laughs> they they gave up the first on the penalty kill. 
And then they trailed the whole first period. Like they didn't even it up till the end of the first period. Yeah. Which is another reason why I say this game is a lot more competitive if you had watched it start to finish than if you're just looking at, oh, another Brazil. It's like they did really have to work yeah. through this one. No, I mean, you think of the first intermission. I mean, this is, you know, this was not a game that was out of hand at all. This was something that, like, we were wondering how, how it's going to play out. And then the second period was good to them. I guess one other thing that I want to point out is just how good they've been at home. Is it that they've been that good at home, or is it on the road they've been a little bit less than? Because it does feel like it's, it's definitely a contrast this year. It feels more of a contrast than it has in the past. And I don't know if that's how you all are feeling, or maybe that's just me. I think it's definitely that they're less on the road. And I guess why is that? The Chicago game sort of fed into that, too. Like, Chicago's a team they should not have needed to take to overtime. And, and their record is still, what, like 8-6-1 eight, eight, and one on the road or something? And at home, they're like, what, like 12 or 13-2? and two, So... It, it is a difference. Like I said about the Chicago game, Chicago came out in the second period and adjusted. And, you know, obviously after the, the first period that the Avs had, you, you weren't going to mess around much. So, you know, they they were in the position to have to counter whatever Chicago did and weren't able to until the third period. But is that a road thing? I guess what I'm getting at, is that a road thing? I don't know, because I don't know exactly, you know, I, I mean, if you look through the very few losses that they they've had this year, you know, you look at like the Toronto game and you're just like, well, you know, they came out flat and plus the goalie was terrible. You know, the losses versus Washington and Florida in the very early part of the season. I don't know if you can really take a lot from those. You know, if you look at each game individually, you're not looking at like, Oh boy, this is a pattern kind of thing. So it's, it's really tough to say, what exactly is happening on the road that's different at home? I mean, it, other than, you know, they're sleeping in their own beds and they're more comfortable and getting to the rink more well-adjusted, I guess. Because they've usually been a good ro- road team, or at least a good road trip team. Like, they seem to, to do well on those East Coast road trips. and Which they honestly did after the Toronto game. They got better, for sure. They got better. I know that, that Ottawa game was tough. But Ottawa definitely has a style this year that has made it a little bit tough on them. But yeah, they certainly got better on that trip. I guess we'll see because you you got to throw out the COVID Nashville game. Yeah, that doesn't count for anything, right? That's and that's what I'm saying. It's like if you look at each game individually, like okay, like this game is pretty meaningless. This game is pretty meaningless. So it's like. They're, they're, but it does feel collectively they need to get better on the road. That's something I want to see in the second half or the second two thirds. <laughs> well, it's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, not have McCarr say he can't go in warm ups? Or, I mean, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> gee, if you want well, to lose on the road, just have McCarr taken out of the game right before, right before the game starts and you probably lose. So there's Ottawa and Nashville for you. Yeah, that's a fair point, but who knows what's around the corner? Yeah, you know, knock on some wood. Yeah, and that, um, that's that's that, that's why I'm hesitant to try to draw any conclusions about it. Other than yeah. you're right, it's something, but what it is is it's it's really hard to put your finger on. 
But on the flip side, I do feel like they have something going at home. Maybe it's the confidence or momentum, something. I, when they were losing in that Ducks game, I was like, they have lost two times this year at home, and I better not see the next one. I was like, I want my money back. <laughs> but then they won. I mean, I definitely think so. playing in front of the home crowd is something they really appreciated after last season. You know, I know, I, I know the Pepsi or the the Ball Arena crowd is not the most raucous in the league or whatever, but you know, it's, they're used to it. They're used to the home crowd and all that. I do, yeah. I think they I know it's not it. the best atmosphere ever, but I do feel like the home crowd is enthusiastic, supportive. Yeah, I think they can feel that. I think they can feel that a lot. The people that are there, for the most part, are there for them. Yeah. Because they enjoy it. No, it's not they like might a Dodgers game in L.A. Stop. where everyone's just, like, smoking cigarettes and talking the whole time. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it, but then again, it's not like sort of McNichols and early Pep- Pepsi Center when it was just insane. Yeah, like, I don't feel like it has a diehard vibe or really intense or, but like I said, I, it feels supportive. I, I think calling them abs faithful is probably a pretty good description like it's their fans and and they care about them and yeah you know now, of course there's a depends on who the opponent is there's always going to be some of that but i just i'm just saying in general the vibe that i get when i'm there does feel like everyone's there to support them and i hope it does make a difference because then i like to feel a little bit of ownership of that and of course vlad who's always there to take ownership of that but Am I on the right track? Is that the vibe that maybe you get, or? Yeah, and you know, I've been a season ticket holder now for a few years, and I, you know, when I, you know, one of the first early seasons that I was a season ticket holder was sixteen, seventeen. It wasn't my first, but it was one of the first couple. And that that team, and I'm not editing this out. That team was absolute <laughs> dog shit that year. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> How could we forget? <laughs> but but yes, my my heart goes out to those who sat there through it. And I was at every home game through that dreadful That's season. Just... I saw it all with my own two eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that truly is dedication. You have to drive there. You have to sit there and live it. But go ahead. I know what an empty building looks like. That was that year. <laughs> <laughs> and and there was still that uh undercurrent of hope that yeah. they'll 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 get it this this night and then they get stomped like five to two. They'll get it this night, four <laughs> to one loss. They'll get it this night. Hey, they had a lead and then it became, you know, I got they surrender in the third period and full like a you know, a house of cards. But we saw and we make we make uh we've pointed this out a few times, especially with the Blackhawk fans that would just take over that building in those years where it would be uh, essentially another home game for, for them. And over the, over the course of these last four years, yes, there is that ownership now where the Avs fans are coming back and not just coming back for a game here, a game there. They're coming back consistently and you're seeing fewer and fewer of these droves of visiting team fans of Blackhawk fans or Vegas fans. Of course, you're going to see more Vegas fans out here because it's just going to be a cheaper ticket for them to come here, get, you know, get on the plane, come here and go home versus actually just going to T-Mobile and just getting a seat there. 
I did see a lot of Rangers jerseys at that game back in the summer. I did go to that one, yeah. And I usually avoid those. Like, I purposely don't want to go. And and now with the Avs having the variable pricing, that's even more reason to stay away because it's just upcharged for nothing. Like, upcharged to go to Detroit? No, thank you. Come on, let's be real here. <laughs> have you looked at the standings? Hey, if I don't uh, go to that game, it's certain- a lost cost for me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, like you still see more fans of certain teams. Right. But I mean, and I think the Rangers game was the, was the first time all year that I've really noticed a ton of away fans. But we beat them that game right. and it shuts them up pretty quick. That's also the fun part. Yeah is they didn't have a whole lot to get loud about. And I know that they came back in that game, like they had more chances in the third period and they pulled the goalie and everything and hear more, but still didn't win. And that also kind of contributes to it. Like if you can have a bunch of guys, a bunch of other teams fans come and you still beat them, then that can be even more satisfying. Right, and that's what's very satisfying about certain division opponents like the Blackhawks, like the Wild, like St. Louis in well, except for that first game this year, but consistently here, now that the turnaround has largely, you know, been consistent, you're seeing these fans strut in here thinking this team is still going to fold like it had in years past. And they all slink their way out the door and down the escalator with their tail between their legs. And it is one of the most gratifying things that (laughs) as a season ticket holder, like, yeah, that was worth the, the you know several hundred dollars that I paid for the for this seat. That was worth it. It's always worth it. It is because no one wants to be sort of you know every other visiting team's you know alternate rink kind of thing. And I and I know you know I, I hate ragging on Arizona flat, but you know that's that's kind of their lot in life a lot of the time. Unfortunately, yes, and I've seen it. And I think Jackie, you've been there too. You've probably seen it too down there where it's. Essentially, the, the the a different shoe on you know it's instead of the left shoe, it's now the right shoe down there where it's the Avs fans that roll in down there. Yeah, it is true that Phoenix and the Arizona market is pretty attractive for Colorado fans. Like they do it for football and and baseball and everything because it is probably the cheapest and the easiest city to get to from Denver. As far as flying, if you're, if you're inclined to drive, it probably is. You could probably debate between that and Kansas City, but it's just an easy trip. It's cheap, and then like it's easy to get tickets. I, I think I've told the story before that when we were there last year, the ushers were like, oh, we like you Avs fans. You're so much better than the fans from California. <laughs> 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 like oh okay like you follow the rules you listen <laughs> like they just went on and on i'm like okay glad to be here yeah, see i went to a bunch of games you know first of all like when when they were phoenix and it was like late 90s right around 2000 and it's you know you have a lot of midwestern transplants there and so it's like any kind of chicago detroit um, game would just you know that that would be a, a sea of red kind of situation, and then I I ended up going to a bunch of games in like two thousand six, seven, and eight, and you know that that was after I I think at that point they moved out to Gila River, and that was you know it was kind of the same thing. That's just you know that's just not the identity you want to have. You want to have at least a core that's gonna 
you know, shout over the Ranger fans, shout over the Blackhawk fans. And, you know, at least that's what... And I think it's taken time. Yeah. It really has. And It, it, it has, because you, you lost all that star power after 06, when everybody left ex- except for Sackick. And then you had this uh, rogues gallery of all these dudes and before they started drafting the kids in, you know, O'Reilly <laughs> and Duchesne and the, those guys. But they still ha- were living in that shadow of that time. So yeah. when you're trying to market that and there's that disconnect, and I know we've gone, we've, you know, we've gone around in this on the discord about how do you connect with, with this fan base when you don't market this team. And now you've got this prolonged uh, dispute with your, you know, your TV rights, <laughs> which doesn't help, but you, you're, you can't I mean, do obviously that. When- I mean, obviously, winning helps. If, if they hadn't be, haven't been consistently good now, it could be a different story. Especially when you mention the TV problem, because if they're just bad and not on TV, <laughs> that that's like a total recipe for you, you, for fans. You kind of need caring. to be in the subconscious of the city to to just sort of have it in the back of everyone's mind. Like, oh, geez, you know, let's go to the Avs game tonight. Um, you know, if you're just sort of a casual fan. And I was thinking, you know, I almost feel like McCarr has really elevated that because McKinnon's been here, McKinnon's good, and everyone knows he was a Harp finalist. Like, that's something that people kind of generally know, MVP finalist, but it just seems like McCarr has added that star power. Yeah, and, and like we were really talking about earlier, it's like he's just a little bit more personable. You think that... you? I never thought of it that way, but is it? Yeah, I, I guess it could be that that he's maybe a little bit easier to root for or yeah. connect. And with. I think people probably see that because he's got that very you know uh, kid next door kind of look to him, where you know he, right. he, he he was the kid that you paid you know the five dollars to to mow your yard every summer, and you watched him grow up, <laughs> and he's he's made good for himself, and now he's become this really lovable, likable guy that you just happens to be really good at hockey and you, you just can't help but you know this is- he's a stone cold killer <laughs> and he does it with the yeah. smile <laughs> yeah it's just he, he's a little more accessible than the other guys and and you know it's it's tough just because our you know it's like sam's french he's inaccessible you know miko's just gigantic and, and scary and, and moose and everything and nuke doesn't do media <laughs> Right, you know, and it's like Gabe's awesome, and he's always going to be a, a face of the team. And I think he's always been sort of that constant that, that people want to root for. But you know, it's like you know, now you've got Gabe and and you've got McCarr as sort of accessible stars um, that can then that can get people who want to come. So yeah, I, I would like to see McCarr even become even more like a local hero. I guess you could say he he's on his way to being a household name here, even. Even without yeah. the goal this week, he is his future is such where he's going to have moments that are going to dazzle that aren't like that, but they'll still have an impact in their own way. Whether it's in a home game or it's in a playoff game or or something along those lines, where it's just going to be something that you'll nobody reads the paper anymore, but you'll pull the app up on your phone or <laughs> see it on Twitter that like. Uh, Kale McCard did this great thing in hockey and then, oh, well, he just visited this animal shelter and here he is posing with some kittens or whatever. <laughs> right. You know, a quick aside, I was at my mom's 
house earlier and she had the paper and I was asking and bless her heart she's like trying to at least follow the abs a little bit at least from a win-loss perspective and I was asking her you know what did you hear about the game last night and she's like oh yeah I'm a card I'm like okay no no no, that was the one before was there anything in the paper about last night's game and she's like I don't think so (laughs) and then I went and got it and it had pictures from the Winnipeg game you could tell because they obviously were wearing the alternate and they had the story about how McKinnon never scores anymore. And that was it. Oh, no game story? Right. <laughs> there were the photos from the game. Like, there was, like, Nico and Landy celebrating a goal. And it said, like, Thursday night against Winnipeg, Landis and Ranton celebrate a goal. So it was from the game. But there was nothing acknowledging the game. And then, like I said, the hilarious part was the story was about how many never scores anymore, which obviously was written prior to the game. I bet the deadline was before the game was over. <laughs> I know. I get it. It's publishing, but it just really reflects how yeah. paper is just bizarre. And Well, I mean, back in the day, it's like they would always, they would <laughs> never print the sports section without the Avs game or the Nuggets game being over. I guess I just thought it was weird that they could at least use the photos from the game, but yet there was no discussion about what actually happened in it. And not to do well, too much of a deep dive into what, you know, coverage of the team used to be like where there was, when there was more than one newspaper here that would have, you know, a presence there. But you would get that extra coverage because you wanted to make sure that your story was the one that was seen. And it was the one that had the not just the, the picture, but also was able to capture the game in an effective way where if you weren't there, then you could relive in some way the action, either through Sadowski or Dater or whomever was covering things at that time. Now, of course, it's a whole different different atmosphere he always had the best pictures yeah i'm just saying it 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 was just confusing it it just i just never saw that before where they like the actual pictures from the game like i could understand the game was just too late (laughs) well and it might be your mom like got an early edition because she's out in the burbs or something like that it's possible but i just thought it was funny it is confusing because i'm trying to talk about a game you know what i mean it's yeah, and it's like, are they going to put it in I, I the next think- day's paper? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think they do. I think that then something will be mentioned about it. It's just, I do feel, there are people, maybe of the older generation, that that's where they still get their news. Like, my dad was very plugged in, partially because of me, but that was still his source. Like, he read the paper. Right, but it's it like, just funny. you're not going to bring up do a day-old game story. They do, though. Not really? <laughs> They do. They just, you know, time goes on. That was the next game that was played. It's just... I guess they figure if you're still getting your news from newsprint, then this is quick enough. Well, like I said, my dad was obviously way more aware, but he still would mention, like, this is what's going on in in the land of the people that read the newspaper, and sometimes we would definitely laugh about that. Yeah, I mean, was, when I lived on the Western Slope, we'd always get the early edition. So it's like you go and you buy like the Sunday Post, and like you get in there, and like none of the Saturday night games would be on it because they had to print it in the afternoon and bring it out, or I guess they printed it in Grand Junction and probably midnight. But still, it's like that went to bed at like ten, so it was way before the games were over. So I actually grew up in Europe, and my dad would try to follow the Broncos and he wouldn't even know if they won or lost until Tuesday <laughs> because that's how long it took for the NFL scores to be printed in in their paper and obviously there was no internet. 
Yeah, that was like when I... Different world back then. Yeah, when I was in college, like, we'd get baseball weekly, and that's when you'd find out, like, five days later what all the games were. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it is good that things are changing, and like like we said, it's good that it feels like maybe maybe it is more of a supportive crowd is helping the abs have a good home record. At least you hope. Right? Yeah, and there's always going to be that those fan bases that are going to travel well. Minnesota travels well. St. Louis travels well. Philadelphia travels well. So you're 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 that's going to be unavoidable. But like you said, Earl, if you can shout them down and you know assert your <laughs> ownership of your own ice, that's yeah. what you want as. That's what you want, you know, out of your fellow fans to just say, "Hey, this is our home. You visit or you." And I like, and I like. Yeah, and I, I don't think there's and, anything wrong with Ranger fans going to an Avs game and having a good time, but it's just like when there are a lot of blue shirts in the crowd, it's just you don't like seeing that. But when they take over, that's when it gets embarrassing because yeah. it's you're never mad that somebody cheers and supports for their team, like absolutely not. And, and hey, I like being an opposing fan, so. I'm not going to say that I don't go and do that, but I'm not loud or obnoxious about it or try to make a point. There's always the people that try to make it about them and they're trying to create a scene. (laughs) And that's just what makes you angry because it's like nobody has a problem that you're cheering for your team. But when you're trying to act like just you and all the idiots that you brought are like the people that the team is going to hear all the way down the ice. It's just like, just stop. Right. Yeah. It's like I used to go to Rockies games when they first came we're in Denver. I, I'd go there when the Braves would play, and I was a huge Braves fan. And it's you know, you, you try to be considerate of everyone. You're not going to sit there and scream when Tom Glavin's pitching a one nothing shutout or anything. But yeah, it's like calm down. You're not winning the Super Bowl yeah. the Stanley Cup <laughs> right here. It's so yeah, this like be appropriate and respectful. But I don't go insane when I'm at Ball Arena cheering for the Avs either. So. Um, I've had um, terrible luck in a couple of cities. I've never seen them win in Arizona, which is... Oh, no. Yeah, that's uh, awkward what? for I, me, but... <laughs> I've probably been to 10 Coyotes games, and I've never seen the Avs play there. What? <laughs> yeah. I, no, it just never it worked out. I mean, it's just always I was in Phoenix, and there was a game. I was like, well, yeah, why not? Just be like the Stars and Flyers or whatever. I've been to a... I think I've been to one NFL game that was just random, but for me, it's like if I'm taking the effort, I'm I want to watch my team. I've never seen them win in Arizona. I've never seen them win in St. Louis. Ironically, I have seen the Coyotes win in St. Louis. But nice. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to have their number a little bit. I remember last year too. The, Arizona has St. Louis. That, that gives me joy like nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> This year when they played, Arizona played them tough. I For some reason, I have that impression. I'm not even entirely sure. But um, for me, I've, I think I've seen all wins in Arizona. I think I've seen three there. So them lose to St. Louis like many, many years ago. They did lose to Vegas. Uh, where else have I seen them? They did win in Carolina, which is cool. <clears throat> I think those are the ones that I've seen. Think- so I'm on a fairly decent run, I think. I think the only place I've ever seen the Avs on the road win was in Florida. I've seen them win in Vancouver. I've seen them win and lose in Carolina. I've seen them win in Detroit twice. That was, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, I saw them win at the Joe in, in the shootout the week before Stadium Series that year. 
2016. And then I saw them uh, the opening the opening year of uh, Little Caesars, I think a couple years later. So that was real fun. That was real fun. Nice. No, I've been to I've been to five Canes games and I've never seen the Avs there either. You been to five Canes games? Yeah, I had a friend of mine who lived in Raleigh and we'd go down there ride mountain bikes. You just oh the Canes are playing. Why not? And I haven't seen them win in Vegas yet. I know that one's tough. I was a loser there too. And if all goes well in a couple of months I will see them win in Seattle. I think that's likely. Yeah. <laughs> but you yep, never know. You never know. We've seen some transactions here of late where they've been, they've been moving a few guys up and down, in and out. And it seems as though for the abs, at least, the taxi squad is going to be used in a much more, in a much different capacity than it was previous season. Yeah, it's total backup plan. I, I think, I mean, I think we all hope that, that Maltsev gets a chance to get back in the lineup again because he was good and, and Bednar did seem to like him. Well, they also kind of need to make a decision on him too yeah i mean they kind of need to figure out if they want to bring him back which qualifying him is probably not a big deal but still like kind of need to know if you're going to use him or not yeah it's nice to see that that he's the guy that that's you know coming back and forth um because i i do think he's probably the most useful guy as far as a a right and ready situation well and he can play center and i don't it probably doesn't have any impact on their decisions but like he lives in denver so sure um kind of easier that way yeah you know I, I until someone goes down and they need another warm body he's, he's you know he's, he's not in the lineup right now well i mean backing up and talking just about the taxi squad in general i'm glad that they brought it back i think it's especially in a time of uncertainty you just need to have more players readily available and it's going to prevent some postponements and i just i don't know i i wish it wasn't just so temporary i think it's something they they really need to think about moving into the future just because travel logistics you can't just snap your fingers and get somebody from the other side of the country on a day's notice. So I like that there's a mechanism for the abs to actually have some players with them because when they start going back out on the road and it's for more than one game, stuff happens and it's aggravating that they just can't have players to use. Yeah. I mean, I think the important thing is to have a goalie on there, whether it's Miska or not. I, I think well, the league, the league doesn't like, grandpa joe getting in net right it it, it embarrasses the league like everyone thinks it's the most wonderful thing ever and it's so entertaining but the league is like this is bush league (laughs) and it is and i i do think you know and and this was discussed a lot last summer but you know i i think the impetus is there for the league and the players association and, and everybody to come together and figure out a way that you can have a third goalie slash practice goalie slash e-bug whatever on your roster not it, on your roster it is but available well just with you i guess right. yeah. and, and it, yeah nobody wants another guy on the cap but if the guy is with you it, it's also just ridiculous the whole waving of the third goalie and everyone steals each other's third goalies it's just it's not what is intended like every team should just have a third goalie like it's a normal thing yeah um and and there are a lot of ways they could go about doing that 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 you could have it not impact the cap and not have to really circumvent the the rules as they are written but just an understanding between the teams that 
you know, we're all going to carry a third goalie. It's not going to be a roster guy, but it, it's someone you can bring with you. And, and maybe you have to have it be a guy that's not on an NHL contract. Um, you could do it, you know, maybe a guy that's... Well, I think he does have to, because there, there's enough situations that come up where the guy has to back up, like for real. Well, you could always sign a, a guy that's not on an NHL contract to a PTO for the game, but... Like if you have a guy that's on an NHL contract, like say they wanted to make Miska the third goalie, you know, it's like the the, the players association would want to represent that guy in a way that he's making the most money, yada yada. yada. Um, but if it's if it's more of a practice goalie kind of situation, like you know, let's say Peyton Jones um, was now going to be the Avs. Um, emergency goalie slash practice goalie on a, a PHPA contract. You could do that with no cap hit, and he's always going to be there. I mean, you probably want someone better than Peyton Jones, but just you know, to use him as an example as someone in the organization right now. Well, he's better than Joe Blow off the street, Correct. and and I just thought it was kind of crazy that. The day the Avs get back for the, from their COVID break and they're all trying to say, like, nobody comes in the building unless you're negative. You know, they're trying to start from square zero or whatever. And and then Frank goes down that day and they have to call in Grandpa Joe as he practice goalie and he tests positive. So they had nobody. It, and so the system worked as intended to weed out the people that are positive. But I'm just thinking they just had this break and they're going to bring in a guy off the street to practice with them. It's ridiculous. And it, I mean, you would think that just sort of, I mean, you, you have a skills coach, let's say like a, a lard, you know, it's like, this is, this is more like that. You know, it's like th- having a practice goalie that could be an e-bug for you and, and travel with you you know, it is something that's more of a staff member than an actual player, but it's someone you wouldn't mind having a goal and how you get around the fact that the guy never plays. So he's never going to be ready. I, you know, maybe it's just the, the practice is fine. But again, I, I just, I don't think you'd want a guy on an NHL contract doing that for various reasons. Well, I mean, that, that goes down more the road of like pure emergency. Right. And I think that's what it should be. I don't think you should have like a real third goalie. Like if you want a a third goalie, like your backup goes down and you need another guy, then you're calling up your dude from the AHL. But, you know, just to be able to not have an e-bug off, you know, off the street coming into a game, um, this would ameliorate that. Well, should the e-bug be your goalie coach? And I know that every team has their situation a little differently, but in the Avs case, they would actually be pretty pretty lucky because you've got Peter Budai as that guy. Right. You could have Peter Peter Budai do that, but it's I don't think you need I don't want I don't think you want to be locked into having a guy that can actually play as your goalie coach because then like you know you want Parkila as your goalie coach and you probably wouldn't want him playing. Right. So. So I'll, I'll amend it. So you wouldn't want your goalie coach proper, as in a, a Parkilla, but you would probably want somebody on the goaltending staff that could do it. Right. I, I think you're getting a little bit too far into the just total desperation. For me, I would like it a lot closer to a legitimate third than just like somebody that won't embarrass themselves entirely if they had to come in an emergency situation because as we've seen this year they haven't had stable goaltending like i want to wait until we get to a point where 
you could say, hey, the third goalie's been here for three or four weeks. He hasn't played. Everybody's been healthy. Things have been great. Then you start to say, what do we need to do to get this guy some action? He can't just sit around and be ready. Like up until this point, that hadn't been the situation whatsoever. So I'm not really worried about that hypothetical because it it doesn't happen all that often. They need to find a way to be able to have a real goalie available to them. Well, then, the, I mean, if you're going to have a real goalie available to you, then then the guy's got to be playing games, and he has to be in the NHL. Well, like I like I said, that hypothetical tends to not be the case because if we were making that argument for JoJo, he was the backup the whole season until he was waived. Like there was no, oh, the third goalie's doing nothing because he's just sitting around, and the first two are healthy. Like that just hasn't happened. The other thing is. The funny thing is, is you can send a goalie on a conditioning assignment. He doesn't even have to be injured. You could send and not waive a goalie on a conditioning assignment just because he hasn't played in a while. You can do that with anyone. Right. But I'm just saying you can do that with a goaltender. So if you ever really do get in a situation where you're like, this guy truly has not played in over a month, you can just send him to the AHL and not even have to worry about him getting waived. Yeah, but again, I like that's a situation... Like your backup is hurt and going to be out for three weeks or something, and you need a third goalie, and that's going to be your AHL guy. I'm just talking about having a guy that if you know both goalies get COVID right before the game, you know you've got a professional goalie ready to deal with it. Well, when you start getting into like guys that aren't an NHL contract, I'm just saying you're getting pretty close to like the college student from down the street. Yeah. So, like I said, I'd like to see it more but like... There, I mean, there's no good solution to this because, you you know, what you want is a guy that's, you know, game ready and been playing a lot. And to do that, he can't be around the team. I'm just saying there's a disaster so often that you really shouldn't worry about, boy, this guy's never played because that's just, that's not reality. Okay. <laughs> like, we've seen it. We, we've seen. I'd rather have... I would rather risk some guy that's too talented that might spend a week or two doing nothing rather than having and have decent option available. That would be my trade-off. And like we saw Florida took JoJo. They're just going to carry three like some teams do. And I know the Avs would never do that. But until they make an exception where you can bring a real third goaltender with you and maybe he's not on the cap. I, I think they I seriously think they should have been doing that for the last several years. Because they don't carry twenty three skaters as it is. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't think, I don't see the owners or the players being down with that. They should. <laughs> Unless yeah. you want to see Miska and Net. That's the thing. I mean, I, I think basically what the owners and the players would be fine with would be Miska on a PHPA contract as the you know practice goalie, and if he has to play, just, then it you know it is what it is. But he's not going to be down in the AHL and getting reps. Well, it's a good thing as long as they do it. Just the funny thing is, is they still have been sending these guys away on days off. Yeah. I think that's getting a little bucks. silly. Yeah. Is it just <laughs> because of the $500 day per diem? <laughs> really? I know there is a, some people would say, but there's a limit. They made a rule. You can only have a guy on for 20 consecutive days, but they already spent time with minor and burke chewing that up like you're not gonna worry oh boy miska's gonna get reach his cutoff here like so what there's other just use minor again like between minor and miska you will get to the beginning of february don't have to worry about it yeah so is it seriously about the per diem which is just 
you know, and they would do this and everyone would be like, it's the cap. It's about the cap. It's about saving the pennies. Now it's just about saving like literal just dollars they're paying these guys. <laughs> Isn't that kind of sad? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know why they keep doing that. Like I can see why they're doing it with Maltsev because maybe he's practicing down with the Eagles or something like that. I don't know. With like but Miss with they, Miss Guy, I don't understand why they care. The Eagles traveled to Tucson today, so either Miska's going to be available for the Avs, or he's he's with them. So what I'm saying is, the Avs had a practice today, and it was a full team practice, not an optional. Why couldn't Malta be part of that? Like he he clearly wasn't with the Eagles because they're traveling, so he just sat at home. I don't know. I'll be interested to see what they do this week. You know, do those guys come back up before the Toronto game now? Are they going to take any? I guess those are just the two. And they, they do just have sing, singular road trips this week. But they are on a back-to-back. The Eagles are out of town. They will be back by Sunday night or Monday. But you're, you're starting to get into this thing that travel out there is horrendous. You're not just going to snap your fingers and have a guy be there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they manage it because logistically it's it's tough. They're going to have to start thinking about resting people. I wish. I will believe it when we see it. Well, I mean, I think that's kind of what's happening with JJ right now. You know, like I know we all wish they could rest Helm a little more all the time. It, but <laughs> They definitely have the luxury to not push JJ right now. However, he didn't even skate. So it's not like... Yeah. Wink, wink. He's not ready to go. Like he truly isn't ready to go. I bet. I bet if Murray wasn't ready, he would have. I, I mean, when the guy isn't even skating, that's a little. He's a gamer. He would have made it through. <laughs> He's old too. He's an old guy. He's fine. He's a rock. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, we'll see. It. Like I said, I like that they have at least the option of the taxi squad, but the abs have to use it too. You can have up to six on there. That's definitely a lot. You would you wouldn't use that unless you are in the middle of operate and you need to just be sure you can ice eighteen I, skaters. <laughs> I mean, I think this the if you're going to use six, you're you're someone like Edmonton or Calgary, which doesn't have a team neck accessible. But you know, I, I think I still think the Avs would do it. I still think the Avs would leave the majority of their available bodies on the other side of the border. I think they would do it. <laughs> <laughs> they would. You might. But um, like you said, it's good to see Maltsev's kind of like the next guy up. I think he's earned it. But we also want to see opportunities for a lot of other guys. Um, Kaut's been good in the AHL. I know the Avs don't care about him, but if we're going to bring up meritocracy, he should come back. Um, I mean, for the love of God, Bowers the game. Like, seriously. You're not going to wave this guy without ever seeing him once, right? <laughs> Maybe that's the plan. If they don't play him then, and they wave him, like, who's going to take him? And he did have a really good game the last game I watched. And, you know, they prob probably everybody hopes a little for a little bit more from him. But at some point, you just have to say he's always looked good in camp. Bedner's always liked him. Maybe he's just a guy that's going to thrive more in a structured environment with better players around him. Or he doesn't. But you just, he really needs to be on the short list. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't have any doubt in my mind they're going to have a ton more in injuries, so... I, I know it's scary. Like it, it's nice right now. It, we don't like that nukes out, but it does feel fairly stable. But you just know when this the schedule picks up, it's it's going to be back to insanity. Whether it picks up or not, I mean, it's just they they get lots of injuries. That's what they do. <laughs> I know it's it is it is 
really scary. I honestly am not sure Sampo comes back this year, and I don't think that's good. But I don't think they're anywhere close to using him again. I, I don't. I mean, we have no idea how dire the injury situation could be again. <laughs> well, I always assume something like that's going to happen. But remember, they still have Vagna and Sherwood and Pura to cycle through, which we all know they will. And I was happy with Baron's little audition. I. It's a shame that the pause and the break had to happen because I, I think they were serious about giving him a fairly decent run because McDonald got hurt. I, th- I think they were willing to keep him through that road trip that was supposed to go to Boston. So that sucks for him. He could have probably got like two weeks worth of play at least. Yeah, I mean, and, I um, I think I think they definitely want to use him some more. But again, I mean, you know, we saw what happened a couple of years ago when – Everybody got injured in February. Oh. And, you know, I, I, I just, I, I think that there's just going to be so much attrition, <laughs> and I don't, I don't think it's because of COVID. I, I just think that you're, you're going to have guys banged up. You know, now that well, you're no, not going to have whole, a break like, in February. <laughs> I know. See, and I'm the one always saying, like, keep an extra player for the love of God. Don't go on a five game road trip out of the country with one extra player. I mean, to me, that was just the epitome of absurd. Yeah, it's crazy shit's going to happen again. We know it. They can't play McDermott at forward and defense at the same time. But if they had the option, they just might do it. I mean, there's 52 games left. Anything. Well, if he plays five minutes as a forward and five minutes defense, kind of could do both. That's supposed to be a joke. Just just imagine what would have to happen for that. We might see it. (laughs) Oh, God, please no. And then we'll all be here in March saying, remember when we were talking about Kale McCarr owning the world and then... No, we can't go there. No, no, no. (laughs) I know what my disaster scenarios are and I'm not sharing. I can always edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) So we've kind of dipped our toe into the pool that is the Colorado Eagles. They were not subject to to any COVID pause over the last little while. What's been going on in in Loveland where the Eagles roost. Um, they actually played six games during the Avs pause. Was nice to still give us some relevant hockey to watch. And obviously with organizational ties. Um, played a series in Stockton that was really bad, but Stockton's probably the best AHL team. Um, then they were at home against San Jose, split with them. There was a fun game when Andonen got his first AHL shutout, and all the prospects scored the goals. I think it was Kaut, Foodie, Sampo, and Bocage scored the goals. So that was entertaining. And then they went to Iowa uh, right um, before... Trying, I can't even remember those before or after Christmas. After, I think. And um, played a couple good games there. One was really dumb where they gave up a penalty shot in overtime and lost that way that to Marco good. Rossi. So he can thank the Colorado Eagles for his call-up. Uh, and then they won the second game at least. So there's been some good performances from the prospects. They've had their own COVID issues, but it's been more of a trickle where it's just like, two or three guys every week. So they haven't been shut down for some some reason, miraculously. Um, Foodie couldn't get back from Canada after Christmas because he tested positive on his way back. Uh, Anna then had it now. So almost everybody they would call up at this point has has had their run on the COVID protocol list. Baron had it. Hmm? Baron had it. Yeah. Oh, well, if we want to talk about that. Well, when the Avs sent Baron and Maltzov down, 
Well, Baron and Maltsev both traveled to California and met them for the second game in Stockton. This was two days after the Nashville game. And they played in that game on Saturday. And then their next game was on Tuesday. And Baron wasn't available on Tuesday because he was on the COVID list. So um, put two and two together and figure out they pretty much sent him there infected. (laughs) And then Stockton had a pause. And let's also point out the Eagles travel on commercial airplanes. Most of the time. All the time. (laughs) Definitely to California and back. So any thought of them caring about managing, uh, you know, infections is definitely not the case. But he was back. He did play the last game in Iowa. Um, yes, Maltsev never got it. So Russian, you know, Russian strength, I guess. But like, like we just said, uh, Baron should be the next defenseman on the list. I don't think they need to see Jordan Gross anymore. Nope. Uh, Gilbert's been hurt. Maybe he's an option or not. Who knows? But it should be Baron at this point. So that's kind of where the Eagles are at. They're going to play in Tucson this weekend, and we'll see who's in the lineup. Yeah, I will. I think it'll be interesting what the Avs do the next time they go on like an actual road trip and how they use the taxi squad and who's on it. Because I mean, right now you'd think it would be Miska, Maltsev, and Baron um, if they were going to take enough guys to sort of cover a situation. Yeah, it's funny that before the Dallas games were canceled, that the guys they had were Burke, Maltsev, and. Miska and Miner, so they weren't even looking at bringing a defenseman. Which... They didn't have one they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that we'll, we'll figure out a lot in the next few weeks. It, it's true that they don't have a long trip. I know next week they go, well, the following week, really, they, when they go to California and they play the back-to-back there, but they don't have a real, like, three-city kind of road trip for a little while. They just get to go back and forth. Two traveling back-to-backs. That's going to be fun. Uh, speaking of fun, uh, there's been at least a couple of nods for Olympic hopefuls connected to the Avs, right? Yeah, a little bit surprisingly, I guess, Drew Hollison has been invited for Team USA. It's not like official, but the insiders are mentioning this, that he's been invited and it seems like he's been giving the blessing to go from Boston College, so... I would imagine would be going. Uh, we'll see who probably nobody else abs related since it seems like they want to be very strict about no NHL contracts whatsoever. So even guys that are primarily AHL players, like say Cow, would be allowed to go for the Czech Republic, which, you know, the abs could probably live without his services for a month. Like they're going to use him anyway, but he wouldn't be allowed to go. So you would be looking at just AHL contracted players or college players that obviously haven't signed yet. Um, that'd be cool to see him there. Uh, certainly up his profile, make it even more interesting if the abs can get him under contract after this year, but definitely a huge honor for him. Yeah. Team USA's roster that they, you know, I guess the invitees that they've had so far, it's a lot of college guys. And I, I mean, not or guys I, like playing in the KHL. <clears throat> yeah. But I mean, it definitely, you know, there's, God, it seemed like half the guys were from Minnesota schools, too. Um, <laughs> and Hellison's from Minnesota, so definitely a flavor there. Um, you know, that's kind of cool. I mean, I don't know. I, I, not that I really was planning on watching anyway, but, you know, having Hellison there, I, I, I might consider it. I know. It'd be tough not to watch some of it, at least. Yeah. 
I, I think it would be a good challenge for him just because it, it, it kind of looks like he's outgrown college a little bit. He's doing well, but it just it looks like he's not challenged at the college level as much as he has been the last two years. So sort of playing at a level up might be kind of a good prep to me, for turning pro. Him as kind of a Sampo level prospect, like certainly someone the organization is paying attention to, but I don't think it's necessarily on the fast track. And I think there are some expectations out there, like the Hellison's going to seriously be in the running for the Avs next year. And I just, I can't quite go there in that type of hype and trajectory, uh, but certainly playing at the Olympics ups his profile and might make the Avs be a little bit more proactive about things. Uh, but it, it's still interesting just because I I do think of him as a depth option for the Avs. So I don't know that, you know, he's going to have a whole lot of impact for them, but, but we'll see, you know, it's more prospects doing good things is always good. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of see him, you know, being kind of what you imagine EJ to be at the very end of his career and kind of taking off from there and, and you know, hopefully improving a bit once he gets into the league and, you know, being able to be a, a third pair defensive defenseman type guy. Yeah, it'd be great if it was the options were him and Baron, and we would never have to see guys like Jordan Gross. But we'll see. We'll see if the Avs get there. Yeah. But congrats to Helly. That's that, that's a nice thing for a guy his age. Definitely. We'll see if there's any other surprises or if there's any way that they can pry out some of these AHL guys because I think it would be awesome for a guy like Cowd. Like that's probably my biggest hope and dream is I think he really needs that and I think he would make that team better, but it's probably not gonna happen. And to wrap up on the prospect discussion, Oscar Allison now has a new home. Yeah, I guess it was a little bit of a surprise that he was traded in the OHL from the Barry Colts to the Oshawa Generals. Um, just because like Barry was thought of as going for it because they have Brant Clark, who was the eighth overall from the Kings, kind of thought as their last hurrah and, and get all the talent together. But they just haven't been a very good team. They've been kind of mid-pack and I watched them a bit in December I just didn't like that team at all I don't like the way they play I I don't know if it was really helping Oscar other than just being in North America and getting more used to it and things I I don't know if it was setting him up to play pro so I like that he did go to a new team generally like everyone always gets excited when a prospect gets traded to a contender in their final year and it just feels like, with the exception of, ironically, Josh Anderson, everyone else just didn't do as well when they went to a new place. I guess Bocage did pretty awesome Victoriaville. That's probably another exception. But it just seems like they never get comfortable or they're on the super team and they're just not used as much. Like, their production always goes down when they move teams. And the fact that Oshawa is also another mid-back pack was a little bit confusing like okay well they're not a contender either why did they do this but i like it because it means they're not a super team that oscar's gonna be on the top line and top power play and he's gonna get all the opportunities that he had with barry again um but it just the ohl's the juniors having a big crisis in canada and they can't have fans anymore um and the ohl's i guess has decided their owners have committed to pushing on at least through this month and hoping for better and so um, so they're going to keep playing, but a lot of teams with the uncertainty, like why would you buy and blow all your assets this year if the season maybe even gets shut down or 
finish or whatever. Like, why would you want to pay in an uncertain year? So that's also part of why um, I think Barry decided to get assets and Oscar was one of them. Yeah. And it, you know, he wasn't an established player there. He was only there for a half season. So it's not like he was entrenched in the Barry community or anything like that. So maybe it might be easier for him to switch right over to Oshawa. I think, you know, with him being an import, I, stability is something they, they need to think about, like with his billets and, and his friends that he's made and stuff like that. I guess that's the part I'm a little bit more worried about. Like, how is he going to handle this transition where he has to stay with a new family in a new city and make new English speaking friends and stuff, but he'll be fine. Uh, I was also, I'm sure it's not going to be that big of a difference. And then also, I just wanted to mention about the return. Like some people see the four draft picks and think that's a lot return for him. I, I'd say no, like the crazy trades in the OHL are like eight to 10 picks, which is insane. But that's basically all they have to trade. And you're, they're not allowed to trade first in the OHL. So you have to really boil it down to how many second round picks did they go for? And he went for one. So kind of think of that as like a first in the NHL. So a guy that's gets traded for a first, that's a pretty good trade, but it's not like an Eichel trade or something like that. So I guess Oshawa had some extra picks and Oscar was available and it wasn't that risky for them, I guess you could say. So good players available, you just, you go for it. So he hasn't played there yet. So I do have the OHL package. I will be watching him in Oshawa. And we'll see how he does there. But I just didn't like Barry, so I'm kind of excited not to have to watch that team again. Well, we certainly wish uh, Oscar the best (laughs) of luck with his new team. And as you said, we'll be keeping an eye on him. Definitely. All right, ladies and germs, it's about that time for our first stars and scratches of the new year. Jackie, lead us off. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Oh, there's so much I want to mention. Can I kind of have two or a half? Can I split mine? I think both of these guys deserve a half. All right. Why not? It's 2022. <laughs> Let's give two. Okay. Um, my first half is to Byram just because, I mean, come on. You all know I had to do it. Just because he's playing again. It's like Christmas miracle. I just, I honestly enjoy and appreciate every single game he plays. So that's like my joy. And I think done well he he was off a lot longer this time so it has taken him some time but to kind of really get back into his groove but like we talked about earlier it was really cool seeing him get the goal and and like i said the assist was really nice too and i mean he even had some good plays in that anaheim game like the one where he like chipped it right across the crease and i think it was to o'connor like that should have been a goal that would have been a really nice highlight play but anyway so Byram's always a star in my heart, and I think he deserves a mention because he's back and he's still awesome. All right. And my other half, I'm going to give it to McKinnon because I've given him a hard ride on this podcast. I wanted more from him. It's not just about goals. I think I've made that pretty clear. But I've liked the way that he's played since coming back. I've, I really feel like in the Anaheim game, he was doing things the right way, doing the things that I wanted to see and not the dumb, selfish, frustrated play. So I'm happy that he got rewarded with that goal that he definitely deserved. And like I mentioned, it was a really nice play all around. But um, I just, I've been happy with this game, and I think he deserves a star. And then, of course, what is it? The 11-game point streak <laughs> is probably star-worthy, too. So um, I think it was a good week for McKinnon. 
Yeah, I mean, Mac had a great week, nine points in three games. I mean, yeah, eight of them were assists, but I, I do think you're right that the, the frustration wasn't as evident as it has been in the past. Like, it felt like he was refreshed. I just, yeah. it seems like he was in a, he was like ready to go and he was, he was in a better place. Yeah. And again, you know, you, you kind of look at his season and people are questioning it and everything like that. And it's, the guy's got 29 assists in 20 games. You know, he's, he's producing. It's just, it's obvious. He's a little snake bit, as JB said, as far as the shooting goes, but his shooting percentage did go up this week. <laughs> so there's that. I'm going to give my star to Eric Johnson because it was a pretty good week for the Condor. It was because if you look at Devon Taves and Kale McCarr, they had a goal and assist each, and EJ had two of each. So he's worth both those guys put together. <laughs> you left Bo out of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's always nice to see EJ getting a, a nice week like that. And, you know, he, he just, you, you can see him as an elder statesman he really appreciates when he he does have a a good week like that and he just he seemed real happy you know being involved with the offense as much as he was this week so it's it's good to see that it definitely feels like a luxury when it happens so it is cool and like we've said like every ej goal is always exciting for some reason yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah i agree with that it's probably the pinnacle of the ej game at this point yeah I mean, you know, like we discussed earlier, I mean, he's he's having a, a good season, and, and this was a good week for him, so throw it down. Yeah, who's your star, Vlad? I was also leaning heavily in the EJ camp as well, <laughs> but I think I'm going to uh, just, I think I'll give him a co-star since we're doing, since, uh, you know, you had to, I guess I'll go with him as one of those two for me, or I don't know if you want to pick a second one. As well, since we're- I don't want to take your. Uh, I'll, I'll see you who who you pick because <laughs> there, there's tons of guys I can mention. Yeah. Well, yeah, they have three wins, so it's easy to find. Yeah. Stars. But I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the low hanging fruit, and I'm taking the captain, Gabe Landeskog. He's had yeah. a phenomenal week. It's true, hat trick helps, but but it was more than that. Yeah. And again, you know, like we mentioned with the ghost points with with Miko, he's one. He's another one of those guys you don't realize he's on a you know ten eleven game point streak or or whatever. But you know, he's been very consistent lately. He's, he's had a very good season. He's he's got thirty three points in twenty five games. That's quite good. It probably is one other guy we need to mention is Kadri. I mean, what is he at forty two points, fifth in league scoring, which and, and he's played what. Five, at least five less games than the guys ahead of ahead of him. Yeah. So it is kind of like we don't talk about him a lot. Like we didn't really even talk about him that much in this episode. And he is just it. It's consistently coming for him. And it is sort of like Miko, where he's maybe not necessarily uh, on the highlight reel, but he's just always involved. Like you just look at who scored the goal, and it might even be a defenseman, or it might not even the the line you think of. It, you're like, oh my god, Kadri got another assist on that. <laughs> it's just like racking up. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his points per sixty this year, I mean, he's you know he's second in the league behind Mark Stone, who's only played twenty games, and you know he's, he's obviously not he's not facing the same kind of competition you would if you were on the top line. So there's that, but you know it's it, it's such an important bounce back from the awful second half of the season he had last year. Yeah, it's huge, and especially with McKinnon missing time this year, uh, it hasn't felt as 
like as much of a gaping hole just because you had Kadri as a guy that could take on the center position and yeah, produce like that. And I guess I'll give my second star to McCarr because you kind of have to. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be remiss yeah, if we didn't give him a star for that goal. Right, we spent an hour talking about him, and then you're like, ah, he didn't make the list. <laughs> Our team is so good that that doesn't even make it. <laughs> oh, well, he's kind of over in, like, the VIP section. Like, he's just not even with the, the commoners. So he's in cl- uh, Club Lexus of the rest yeah. of the, the Stars and Scratches. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I guess when you make a year highlight moment, you can... <laughs> You can have your own award. Here is your key to the executive bathroom, Mr. McCarr. That's true. And I don't know where we're going to come up with scratches. I mean, like, you know, like. Yeah, it's always hard when they win every game. Yeah. You know, it's like the fourth line didn't do anything. McDermott's still awful. Comfer, you know. Uh, I was, yeah. I mean, I will say Joe really does need to pick it up. But he's part of that fourth line, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know. There's really not any new complaints. True. Berkey, Berkey probably didn't have the greatest. He's he's somebody that kind of goes on either list, so he was more on the scratch side this week. Resist though. <laughs> Point per game. Well, when, you, when you score twenty <laughs> goals in a week. He just definitely goes back and forth a little too much. Yeah, I mean, I'd, obviously, like, having Comfer instead of Nachushkin there for, for two of the games was a, a bit of a drag on that line. I know it was better with O'Connor on that line. Yeah, and it, it would be even better still with, with Nachushkin there. Um, <laughs> yes, please come back, Nuke. Get that bionic wrist recalibrated. Like I mentioned after, I think it was the Chicago game, you know, it's when, when Berkey has sort of a tough night having comfort as the other wing it makes it kind of impossible for for that to not stand out negatively it's definitely true for a minute there i thought i was gonna pick the abs pk as the scratch but objectively looking at the span of the last three games of course tomorrow night they could completely ruin everything but they had a really solid outing if you you know even with what happened in Chicago. It was nice they held the fort down in the Winnipeg game. It, those were some good kills. Yeah, I mean they only stopped 2 out of 5 in the first two games, so that's bad. They stopped 4 out of 5 against Winnipeg, so that makes up for it a little bit. There've been a lot of articles written this week because JB keeps talking about it and Baugh keeps harping on JB about it, but <laughs> You know, why the PK is getting better. And I still don't really see it. You know, maybe it's something they're working through and it's just not manifesting itself and in, in kills. But, you know, it, it didn't lose them any games, obviously, but it sure wasn't a help. It got close there for a second. Yeah, definitely. They definitely tried to lose the Chicago game because of the PK. Yeah, definitely. I guess, I guess he doesn't want to bash the unit, so I can understand why he's sort of talking it up. But it is interesting that his talking point is about using like Makar and Taze more on it. And one day he even really kind of emphasized that it's going to be about Bo being able to help on it, which I thought was interesting because they are starting to give him maybe like late in the PK shifts. And then yesterday he got one that was more smack in the middle of a PK. And so maybe that is something that they're trying to work more towards. 
So using the more skilled defenseman is nice. I know that you've mentioned Earl, like, so that should also mean using the more skilled forwards too, but it yeah, doesn't I mean, quite seem like he's ready for that. Yeah, I mean, if, if you noticed Winnipeg last night, Kyle Connor was killing penalties. You know, you, you see a lo- around the league, like a lot of the top line forwards are killing penalties. I mean, that's something that, you know, a lot of teams are using as far as the strategies is, you know, having quicker skaters, better skaters, more skilled skill forwards. To, yeah. Um, that's that, what I like. Like, I, I know one of the arguments against you don't want to see those guys blocking shots, but PK isn't really about blocking shots anymore that, that's like the ultimate last resort it's, it's about clears i think it's getting to the puck and, and being able to move it down the ice well it's, and it's also preventing passes and preventing shots like you know you don't have to block the shot if you're already there defending the guy and, and also you don't have to block a shot that a guy never takes because he doesn't get the pass across the seam so you know, the more skill you can put into it the better you know, and I get, I you know, I, I totally feel with with JB that you know you just don't need to add that many more minutes onto guys like McKinnon and Rantanen and Landeskog. But you know, it's like when when you're that ineffective, you really you really have to wonder, you know, is it worth it playing guys or even having guys in the lineup that that aren't effective at, at killing penalties because they're not helping you win games if they're actually hurting you. You know, I, I, are are they going to take a deep look at, at what Darren Helm really does for the team? Because it's honestly not that much. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. He's you just forget about him most of the time. Which argument fourth liner is that's generally a good thing? Is you're not noticing a lot of bad, but he's also not that trustworthy role player, like a Bell Mare type that Benar can really lean on either. You could tell he doesn't use him late games with the one goal lead stuff like that. It just he feels very expendable and they just never have gotten to a point at the roster where they really, really need to make a decision. And they probably won't because that's like assuming 100% full health, which we all know is never going to happen. So it's just kind of like he has a job by default and it just seems like everyone's okay with that. <laughs> right. But it's, you know, if you have a guy like Maltsev that came up and played pretty well before the break, I, I, I just think it's tough to justify having a guy like Helm in the lineup, if it's kind of the main reason you're doing it is sort of the old school belief that you have your fourth liners kill penalties and it's, you know, your, your penalty kill stuff. So why not try younger guys that, that might help the team more and be able to help the team more outside of the PK? Yeah, it would be nice. You might also be able to find more right shots. There you, you know. go. <laughs> it is possible. So looking ahead for the next week, going to be a bit of a busy one. And selfishly, I have had this week circled on my calendar for a very long time. It's the Arizona week. (laughs) Oh boy, I cannot wait. But before we get there, we have to get through a few other teams first. Uh, This coming Saturday, we have the homestand here at Ball Arena continuing when the Toronto Maple Leafs come to town. That is a 5 p.m. local start. Of course, uh, the last time these two teams met, it was a bit of an ugly affair for the ads up there in Toronto. So it's definitely going to be a much different scenario this time because, well, immediately you're going to have your goaltending upgraded exponentially from Jonas Johansson <laughs> to Darcy Kemper. That's going to make a world of difference as it is. Of course, your roster is going to be largely healthy. So it's not going to be another 8-3 lopsided loss for the Avs. Knock on wood. (laughs) 
Yeah, they this should definitely be a little bit of revenge. And I like that this one's at home, as we talked extensively about. They feel pretty good at home right now. So um, I think when the abs get focused and they want to make a point and they, and they want to prove that they're as good as another team, they usually come out pretty good. And, and they should have certainly felt that way when they went up to Toronto and, and they knew big game I just think it got away from them and you're right they didn't have Kemper and maybe that rattled them a little but everybody wasn't good in that game it wasn't just about goaltending but um I expect them to come out and really really want to prove this one they know they're going to be on is it still hockey night in Canada on Saturday yeah it's the leadoff Saturday the leadoff yeah they know that they know what what stage they're going to be on so it it should be a good game Toronto's fun to watch they play with skill and talent and so hopefully it'll be that kind of game, and obviously the Avs win it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I look at this at kind of like the, the Florida game we saw sort of in mid-December. Um, it's sort of a revenge game where they kind of came back and righted or wrong. And that's, that's still my favorite game of the year, I think. That, that game was so good. Yeah, and, and that proved that they can sort of hang with those really good Eastern Conference teams. <laughs> um, and I also noticed that Alex Perfit was on the first line, line rushes, or practice for the Leafs today. So they're they're a little down as far as manpower goes. No slight to Kerf, but he's usually the third line guy. Yeah, I know that they're missing Marner, and, and that one that one will hurt. But they did kind of go through the same COVID timeline the Avs did, where now most of their guys have been through it and are off the list. So I think they're fairly healthy. I don't know if I want to say healthy, but they're bringing a fairly good team. But yeah, not having Marner, that one hurts. But we don't have Newt, so <laughs> even Steven. If there were ever a bigger stage for Kale McCarr to do something dazzling. That's true. I know. <laughs> if he does, if he has a moment, and we're not even going to say like the moment he had in Chicago, because that's probably the moment of the year. But if he even has like a really nice power play goal or something, they might go nuts up there. I think that would be the only way that he would be able to surpass what he did in Chicago is to do it on Hockey Night in Canada against Toronto. <laughs> if if it like wins the game, let's say they get like third period power play and he scores and it wins the game, <laughs> yeah, that might forgets a hat. That or... might do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Any anything like that would be crazy, but just even realistically, you don't think a, a hat trick is realistic? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's likely for anybody tomorrow. It's possible, but I'm just saying, even a good power play goal, I think that's fairly realistic. It'll be exciting to see, no matter what he ends up doing. We'll be thoroughly tickled, I'm sure. Yeah. Two nights later, on the 10th, the Seattle Kraken make their first visit ever to Ball Arena. And it'll be a homecoming of sorts for Jonas Donskoy and Philip Grubauer. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought of it in that context. That that could be interesting. I don't know. Don't you think the abs will say something? It's not like either really departed on bad terms, especially Donnie. Like, he didn't want to leave. They had to <laughs> kick him out of the practice facility. So I'm sure he's, like, begging, please let me stay. He'll just walk into his, into the abs locker room, go to his old stall, and just act like nothing happened. It's like, I can pretend to be Nuke. I can wear 13. <laughs> All right. Um, let's just hope we don't give up Donnie first goal of the season to Donnie. And uh, we do like 
That'd be fine if I made it seven one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I guess we'll allow it in that case. Uh, You know, we like our old friends, but we also like winning more, our own team more. So, but that'll be different. Certainly, seeing a, especially for you, Vlad, seeing a new team in the building. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting, and I'm curious to see. Speaking of, you know, visitor fan bases, uh, like we touched on earlier. Mm, that's a good question. If, yeah. If uh, what kind of- how many folks are going to be uh, heading down here from the Pacific Northwest to check out their team on the road? Hmm. Yeah, that is good. I'll be interested to hear what that observation is like. And this obviously is a game the Avs should win, and it's at home. Um, you never know, but it, you got to, as good as the Avs have been, you definitely still have that take care of business edict <laughs> gotta do it gotta beat the bad teams uh grubauer is gonna get the start he of course didn't get it the first in the first time that the abs played up there in seattle and grubauer is gonna want to show that he uh, that he's better than what he's he, you know he's shown th- thus far abs fans and of course his former teammates know he's better than that so i think he's gonna bring a little bit more to his game than coming in in relief like he did last time. So I think it's going to be real interesting to see how Grubauer approaches this game being his first one back. And of course, the fans will, you know, cheer for him for that brief little bit when they have that pause at some point in the first period or whenever. But I think that's going to be, these are the things that are going to make that game real compelling. Yeah, definitely. I think he got slighted. They wouldn't let him start that game. And um, and Seattle's been off this week. I don't know if they've... They probably have played one game since the break. But, like, all their games were canceled this week. So they've basically had at least a week off before they come to Denver. So that also means they can pick any goalie they want. Like, there's no excuse of, like, this guy's had a lot of work, blah, 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 the break. Like, this should be the game, obviously, that they play him in. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see sort of if if the Avs know his weaknesses very well from practice or not. They should. <laughs> and how well <laughs> if they're willing to run up the score. That didn't stop them last time. No. So McKinnon hat trick incoming. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can stop trying to score. It's just not a good mentality. But you can tell sometimes who they put on the ice. Like we saw in the Winnipeg game, giving EJ and Bo some extra minutes, but they had the real power play unit out pretty late too. Let's be honest. So yeah, the Avs are always trying to score, but uh, like I said, uh, Seattle has had a, at least a week off. They might be a little rusty too. I'd bet on it. <laughs> yeah. And the very next night, the Avs will be in Nashville to. I think that's it for the series against Nashville this season. No, I think there's... Oh, there is one more. One. There is one more home game late in April. I just yeah. went ahead and double-checked. So this is the last road game out in mm-hmm. out Nashville. And I believe you said you would be uh, on your way there. God willing. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm obviously excited for this game for my reasons. Um, I also hate this as a back-to-back. Like it just, it's an icky back-to-back. They have to play Seattle at home regular time, then fly for a division game on the road the next night. Like usually, when you see back-to-backs, it's better to go road home. I think home road is pretty gross. That is weird. And then to make the division game on the road, the second one, I don't know. I knew when I chose this game that it might not be the greatest one to see but it was just what worked out best for me. So we'll see how that goes. So hopefully you hear me next week on the pod talking about this game. 
Um, as far as what to expect, it's an interesting one because, like we said, the COVID game doesn't count, and they played at home pretty good. Nashville's having a better season. I, I think it could be a pretty close game. If any game this week is low scoring, it could be this one as well. I wouldn't mind seeing a little Sammy magic in this one. Let's just put that out there. From your lips to the hockey god ears. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, boat magic too. Like, that's always appreciated. Yeah, I'm just hoping for kind of a fair matchup this time. Yeah, I think it'll be in between the other two games, not the total disaster and not the... We were pretty dominant in that Nashville game at home, so probably more in between. And that Nashville game actually kicks off the first of four consecutive division games for the Avs. So these these are going to be some pretty important games here coming up. A couple nights later after the Nashville game, they are back here on Friday the 14th. And speaking of the hockey gods finally hearing my prayers, a home at home <laughs> with the Arizona Coyotes. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Do you like that it's home and home? I, I don't I don't mind a series of two against the same team. We I think we all agree four, which we experienced last year was excessive. But there's nothing wrong with two. Not at even all. though it does kind of tend a little bit more to split, but I felt like it was okay kind of getting into a team. Like you get a couple cracks at them and like there is no reason why a series with Arizona who let's be honest, has some attendance issues, cannot handle back-to-back against the same team. I mean, it might even do better wonders for their attendance because then you could have fans come in for both and they would pay for both like I did last year. I paid for a series. I, I, If they were playing back-to-back against Nashville Monday, Tuesday, guess what? I would have paid for both of those games. I don't really see it as losing money, but the NHL does. <laughs> so I don't even remember which one is... Is it home away again? I think it's it home is. away again. So yeah, and I just uh, I don't really like that, but it is what it is. I have always loved back to back home home and home series. So the fact that it is this matchup, it it's just tailor made for for. for is me. it just because you get to really indulge in seeing the other team over multiple nights? It's it's part of that, and then it's just. The odds of something like this happening are just so small that... Just you mean that they would pick that? Yeah. That that's the team they would focus on? Yeah. It, it's so small. I don't... And it's pretty much, as we discussed earlier, it's in terms of actual distance, it's the close... It's really, actually, if you think about it, it's right there in terms of total distance with St. Louis as the closest markets to the Avs. But the difference here is that it's going to be the same time zone. So you're getting identical starts you're just going to be in a different a different venue and i think i and i have i have no hard hard data to back this up but it's just going to be for i I just think there's a real interest in terms of how both teams approach that one thing i don't like is it just makes it more likely thabs are going to just like botch one of these games against them like especially the second one going to arizona after a long week and just I don't know. I just feel like that could be just one where they just get beat. They'll play well, get beat, and it's going to be like an Ottawa game where everyone's like, oh my god, you guys, but that's kind of my... Which game do you think Kemper plays? Do you think he plays the the Denver game or the Phoenix game? That is a really good question. I think think Frank gets the start on Friday, and then Kemper gets the homecoming game on Saturday. Yeah, I think Frank gets the first start in both of the back-to-backs. Yeah, I was thinking that too. It seems like what they do the, for the first pair, they'll do for the second. 
Um, you would think the division game they they want to give Kemper right. Yeah. Thinking is they're going to want to play him in Nashville. Um, which would add, and then when they play, which would add a level of intrigue to the Seattle game where you have Frank going up against Grubauer in goal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is kind of an interesting one. I mean, I'm excited to Frank that that Nashville game wasn't fair to him. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I guess I could see it that way. I, in the Arizona series, you almost say you want to play your starter at home, get the win in the bag, then go on the road. And then if your starter was playing for the other team the previous year, then maybe it's not so bad. The, the difference is that there's been a lot of turnover in Arizona as we've seen. So there is maybe not as much familiarity for the Coyotes versus Kemper as there is for the Avs going against Grubauer. Right, I'm just saying, like, Kemper would be very comfortable being in Phoenix and playing against Arizona. Right, and I, that's a good point, and, to, and let's ex- extrapolate upon that a little further. He knows that arena really well, and it's idiosyncrasies, so he knows how that right. ice is, and he knows how those boards act, so that's going to be a real interesting intangible, if that's the right word here, that he can, you know, share with his you know, his new teammates. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it seems like it would be real easy to play him at the away game um, just because, you know, he would, he would be plenty comfortable either way, but you know, ha- having Frank take the, the home game might be an advantage. Yeah. Like I could see that way. Like I said, it, it does seem like the default thinking is win the first game at home. If you get it in the bag, you're a little bit more YOLO the next night. Um, but it, it would be a nice advantage if obviously Frank could win the first night. And then, yeah, you ideally would want Kemper to play on the road there. And, and I think Frank is of good enough quality. We're not like, oh, gee, play in the backup. Like, you have a good chance to win both ways. He near, <clears throat> excuse me. He nearly stole that win a couple, you know, a couple seasons ago in in Arizona when they nearly made that comeback, lost five three. But it was yes, the game first game. Should, it's true. The game he should have started. Uh-huh. <laughs> His first game, yeah. <laughs> Saw that one live and in person. So if Kemper gets the start, I, I think the only reason that another reason why they would probably start Kemper at home is to give him an extra day of rest before they're back from Arizona to play Minnesota that next afternoon here. That Yeah, that does make sense, too. I guess you could see it both ways. Like rest is good, but then Ben are also like to get him on a roll and, and in a rhythm. So they are basically going to play every other day. You also kind of have to think about that. Like, what what's a better spacing? So if you think about, he's for sure going to play against Minnesota, right? And then the next back-to-back is Anaheim, LA. And I don't remember. I almost want to say LA's first and then Anaheim. It's a- Anaheim, is- LA. Okay. But obviously that back-to-back makes more sense. You're in, you're in the same city. Right down the road. <laughs> no travel. <laughs> then, okay. Then that's an appropriate time to try to have a back-to-back so i guess does it really matter if we're going to extrapolate down that far which one plays in those games i guess anaheim is the better team right now but i don't know for me it just kind of seems like a toss-up there i would probably agree to that but at this stage we've we've got six games to go through before we're at that point yeah exactly <laughs> i know Who let's just knock on wood and like if them. If they're both options by get California trip, we're probably just happy. <laughs> Let's hope it's not Miska in Anaheim. <laughs> it could be Miska in Arizona again. Oh wow, that that's another storyline. Yeah, you had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Isn't there one other game in Arizona? There is. It's on March 3rd, which is a Thursday. Hopefully, it won't be the last season the Avs play in Arizona. Hopefully, it won't be the last season the Coyotes play in Arizona. I think they'll... Yeah, they'll they'll get that project in Tempe done, and we'll see how things go from there. But as much as I would love to try and jam more Coyotes talk into our podcast, <laughs> that's probably good for at least this episode. That way I can save something for next time. <laughs> our listeners are going to get uh, a nice little healthy dose of uh, nine hours of podcasting from us. <laughs> <laughs> I know. God help anybody that makes through it. I should like sneak a little like prize in there or something. Like if you, if you can tell us what who said That's this, true. Maybe, maybe somebody will like post. Maybe yeah, that would be fun if you put in like a, just a little Easter egg and then yeah, that could be fun for our Discord. And then if somebody like finds it and posts, we'll give them like a shout out or something. Yeah, if they can guess the title of this episode. <laughs> All right. Any last words before we uh, wrap this one up for for the night? Well, just thank you to anyone that is still listening to us. We really appreciate it. Definitely. Uh, we know we serve a niche, but we try to do our best. And please pray for me for my upcoming trip. <laughs> pray that Byram continues to be healthy because the world needs him on the ice. And I hope everybody's having a good start to their 2022. What say you, Earl? Live long and prosper. Indeed. And I will say, uh, it's it's good to be back. Uh, had some health issues, which uh, thankfully were not of the news of the day, but they were still very inconvenient to go through, which is why we're three pods down now from publication. But um, I'm glad to... Uh, I'm, I'm glad we were able to reconvene, and this has been a nice, fun. Uh, this has been a nice, fun conversation. It's been a while, and I've missed it. So, thank you both for a being patient with me while I was on the mend, and two, uh, a very fun, uh, a very fun episode tonight. Definitely. I mean, I I find that to really understand the abs, you have to sort of get together and talk about them. So, I think so too. It is very definitely helpful. helpful for me to talk through some things. Which makes it tough to listen to other pods because I want to comment. You really can't. <laughs> but glad you're feeling better. Thank you. Rough it happened over the holidays. Yeah, that was very unpleasant. But thankfully, the, it's in the rearview mirror now. And hopefully, we're done with that for a long time. So until we gather around the microphones again, uh, thanks for listening. And we will catch you next time. Bye.